Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. To have kind of the length in your uh, rotation and the length in your bullpen. For folks that don't think eating up innings matters, uh, you've never been on a major league baseball team. It mattered. It mattered in 1920, and it matters in 2020. And it, it is just important to have those guys that are durable and can show up every day. That was Rick Horton on with us a couple of weeks ago with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, it's very rare that I can say what I am about to say. It's are you about to say rare. you're wrong all the time? But it is true today. Tanner asked me a really good question while well, we were in the office. The that's rare in itself, too. He asked me a really good question. Said, hey, BK, you know, I was thinking about this. Did we overestimate how protective teams are going to be with their rotations going into the season? And I was like, OK, flesh that out for me. Explain what you're talking about here, Tanner. It's like, well, you know, we talked about six man rotations. We talked about skipping starts. We talked about going with a piggyback idea. None of these teams are doing any of these things to start the year, really. It's pretty much everybody is saying, here's our five-man rotation. We're going to attack this 162. So, Alex, I will ask you what Tanner asked me the other day, and I'll be honest, I thought it was pretty interesting. Did we overestimate just how protective these teams were going to be with their five-man rotations? That question gets the first segment of the show. Oh, yeah, it does. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's that's a great question, T-Bone. I do think we overestimated it because of the impact last season had on these pitchers of being shut down and the innings being limited once they returned from the COVID pause. I think we came into this off season expecting teams to go with six man rotations or only start guys in April, three innings and limiting them to 50 pitches. And it sure as hell doesn't seem that way. I mean, by the third start in spring training for guys, and I'm just going off of the Cardinals because I haven't seen as many spring training games around Major League Baseball as the Cardinals. I mean, they're letting these guys go five, six innings, 60, 70, 80 pitches. They're warming these guys up for a full 162 game schedule. And frankly, if I'm an athlete, I'd want it that way. Like if I'm Jack Flaherty, I want it that way. Starting to sound like the Backstreet Boys right now. I want it that way. Of course he sings Backstreet Boys. Oh, come, come on, on I'm not supposed to know that. No, but like, I don't want to be limited this, this, this season, right? Like, I've had a normal training. I had a normal offseason. I had a normal spring training. 
I want to go from day one, April 1st. I want to go the limit. I want to go what I'm supposed to be rather than saying, oh, well, we're going to be hesitant with you. So, yeah, I do think we overestimated this. But frankly, I think we overestimated a lot with this season compared to what it was last year. You're telling me we overanalyzed the Cardinals in the offseason? Is that what you're trying to tell me, Alex? I never (laughs) overanalyzed. Never overanalyze. Yeah, when I was thinking about this last night, I at first I was like, this has got to be crazy of me. I, surely I'm going to say this and BK's going to be like, this is a terrible idea. And then, I've, and then I'm thinking about it and I go, well, I look at the Cardinals bullpen and you go, there's what, one long reliever and that's Woodford. I guess Cabrera could go two if you needed Reyes could go two. But I look at well, and John I go. John Brevia can go two. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, no. Wow, that was sad. Well, never forget. But I, I look at it, and like you mentioned, spring training, I think Martinez went six innings in his last start. He did three in the last spring game, but he went six innings. And the whole thought was, we're coming into this, and we're going, all right, tomorrow, Flaherty, three innings, 50 pitches, and we're going to call it quits, and we're going to go to the pen. No, I, I think that these teams actually had have faith that their guys were doing their offseason regimen, and they're saying, you know what? So what if it was 60 games? We think you guys are going to be fine. Let's go out there. And I'm not saying Flaherty's going to throw 120 pitches tomorrow, but I think Flaherty could give you a solid 5-6, throw 80 to 100 pitches come tomorrow. I don't think he's limited at all. If he if you get him to 100 pitches, I don't think that's a problem in his first outing of the season. I Maybe he doesn't get there because he's not effective, but if he's cruising and he looks good and he's not having any like super high leverage innings, I'm fine with him getting through six or seven innings. I got no issues with that. I think that the way that teams are looking at this and we got some indicators that this would be the case, but nobody, very few people with the teams actually came out and said it. If you're somebody that has a proven track record of 170 plus innings, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of limitations on you. Jack Flaherty two years ago threw 196 innings. I'm not worried about him. Adam Wainwright, two years ago, threw 171 innings. Not super worried about him. KK, his entire career has been an innings eater um, overseas. You look at a guy like Carlos Martinez, as much as he's frustrating here, the last time he was a full-time starter for the Cardinals, he threw 205 innings for them in 2017. I don't think they're going to baby these pitchers the way that we thought they were going to. And part of that is because of that track record. Part of it is also looking at where these guys are in their lifespan as pitchers, right? KK's on the last year of his deal. Carlos, for all intents and purposes, last year of his deal. Adam Wainwright is, he said it publicly, if his arm pops off, he's had a great career and he's ready to go out that way. That's four-fifths of your starting rotation, basically, that you're like, okay, I'm not super worried if this goes south on them. We're going to be okay in the long term. Jack Flaherty's the one guy where it's like, we need to make sure this guy's okay every time he goes out. And I thought about this, too, last night. I I kind of wondered if it was one of those where maybe the idea heading into the season was going to be, all right, we'll kind of piggyback. We're not going to officially say it. But then when you had the injuries pop up, because who are going to be your long relievers in the bullpen? Gant, probably. Pons, probably. Well, now they're in the rotation beginning of the year. So I kind of wonder if the Cardinals wanted to do that. And then as injuries popped up, they said, you know what? Actually, I think we're going to be fine. I don't think that's the case, but that was something that popped into the back of my head. And I don't know how hesitant you're going to be with Jack Flaherty this year. Like, I know you don't want him to be in Tommy John territory, but I mean, you've gone this long with Jack Flaherty and you haven't really had any scares with him. Knock on wood that you don't run into those. But last year was the year that I was going to be hesitant with him because of what the schedule looked like this year to where you have a normal training camp and a normal 
uh, off season. I want Jack Flair to be Jack Flaherty. Like I don't want any limitations on him this season. So I'm not looking at him as any like casualty or saying, Hey, we need to make sure we're babying this guy. He's my ace. And he's going to be treated like an ace, just like a Jacob deGrom has been treated. Just like a Max Scherzer's treated. He's going to be treated just like that. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show from the six, one, eight guys. All right, let's put this into action. Jack Flaherty tomorrow gets through six innings. He has a one hit shutout. Are you pulling him in that spot? What's his pitch count? And That's what's what the score? Say. I'm not super worried about the score. Pitch count worries me. If you're at, if, you, if you've reached through six innings, one hit shutout, and you're at 75 pitches through those six innings, hell yeah, throw him back out there for the seventh. Let's see what, he, what he's got. And if things get ugly in the seventh, I can throw in a reliever that I trust. But if he's cruising, yeah, I'm going to throw him back out there for the seventh and let's see what he's got. I am not babying Jack Flaherty early in the season based on what I've seen them do with him so far throughout the spring. It looks to me like he's ramping up the same way that he would any other season. And yes, I know he threw a weird season last year. We've talked to so many pitching coaches and or former pitching coaches and so many guys that are in or around the game of baseball that have told us something to the degree of. Hey, some of these guys, it was actually good for them to throw fewer innings. They got a little bit of rest for their arm that they wouldn't typically expect. Maybe that applies to Jack Flaherty in this spot. I think part of why Adam Wainwright was so successful last year and why I think he's going to have a really good year this year. I don't know the last time Adam Wainwright for getting rehab, for getting the season. When was the last time Adam Wainwright went basically a full calendar year of just being able to rest? That had to be nice for him going into last season. And I think it's going to be something similar to that going into this year. I feel like these guys are going to be a okay going into the year. I feel better today about the Cardinals rotation than I expected to, especially if you had told me in the off season, Hey, John Gant, Daniel Ponce de Leon are going to be your four or five starters. Well, let's not get too aggressive. You you took it too far. (laughs) We, we found our line because I'm still pretty nervous about portions of that bolt. The, uh, the rotation. I'm terrified. I'm not terrified. Terrified would be Carlos Martinez is my game day starter. Oh, that's terrifying. That's terrifying. <laughs> okay, so hear, hear me out here. I'm like if you go into a fun house at a carnival and like I'm good until you turn the corner and it's the clown room. Then I'm out. He, hear me out. We all knew that John Gant was going to start some games for the Cardinals well, this year, right? He's good at baseball. But we knew we knew it was very likely whether it be three, five, ten. We knew there were going to be games that John Gant started. We knew it was likely that at some point this year, Daniel Ponce de Leon would start some games for them, right? We're all in agreement on this? Yeah, it doesn't mean I felt comfortable sure. with it. Sure. Yeah. We knew that was likely. Well, that's instead of those games happening in June or July, they're just happening at the beginning of the year. So as long as this is not permanent, as long as Miles Michaelis doesn't miss the entire year, as long as KK doesn't have a bunch of setbacks with his back, I'm fine with them starting some games. Yeah, but I just need to see that certainty come back eventually. But in the here and now, I'm fine with this. But that's why I'm nervous because it's at the beginning of the year. If this was June and I had Miles Michaelis already and knew he was fine and then he went down, I'd be like, okay. But Miles is down after missing an entire season with basically the same injury. And you're telling me, it's like, oh, no, he'll be good. But you just got to deal with Pons for a little bit. Okay. But he's not going to be good. Like, I'm hesitant about that. KK, I'm not as concerned about. And then it's a competition for that last st- that spot in the rotation, which is fine. 
but it still makes me it still makes me nervous. I'm gonna post this on a poll on Twitter. One being the lowest, five being the highest. Throw the what poll is, out there. What is your confidence level in the Cardinals rotation going into this season? With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I'll post that on my Twitter account at BK Sports Talk. We'll tweet it out at 101 ESPN as well. But right now, we've got to go talk with John Nagowski. The man has officially made the Cardinals opening day roster. How did he get the news? Who was the first call that he he spoke with after he heard that he was going to make this opening day roster? And has he thought about what it's going to be like when he sees the Clydesdales roaming around Cardinals opening day here in St. Louis? We're going to talk to John Nagowski, the man, the myth, the legend himself when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario, Jamie Rivers stepping in studio as well. You know it, baby. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I got to be honest with you guys. I wasn't I wasn't sure going into spring training that we were going to have the opportunity to do this. But the man just kept on hitting. We got to have confidence, BK. We are thrilled to be joined. I had his room ready at my house. (laughs) I was confident, man. The sofa was all laid out. Via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, the one and only John Nagowski, Cardinals first baseman, outfielder, hitting extraordinaire, is joining us here on 101 ESPN. John, first of all, thanks for the time as always, my man. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, guys. Thanks for that intro, man. That got me fired up. <laughs> of course. So let's let's start with the big news. I mean, you you heard over the weekend. We heard over the weekend, and I was pumping my fist as we went along and heard the news. Uh, what? How did you get the news that you have officially made the Cardinals opening day roster? Um, I think I got the news maybe the day before uh, the last day and uh, Skip just called me into the office and, and said, man, you know, you earned a spot and, and we're taking you with us. And um, it's was, it was pretty emotional, man. Being able to to uh, call my parents, call my girlfriend and tell her that. I mean, after all the sacrifices they've made, all the sacrifices we've made throughout this whole journey, I mean, it was, it was pretty special, man. I, I tried to hold it together in his office and um, luckily I had a mask on and everything, so you couldn't quite see my face, but, um, it was, it was special, man. It was absolutely incredible. Yeah. John, look, I remember when I got told by the blues here in town, Hey kid, go find a place to live. You're going to be here for the season. And mm-hmm. I, you just, you, you go numb almost. And you're, you're just so happy at the time. And I remember just calling everybody, like you just said, calling everybody you could to let them know. But at the same time, I also felt like a couple hours later, I got a big responsibility huh. now because I'd like to stay here as well. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's it's awesome to to start a journey, but it's even cooler to finish it. So, um, you know, and we want to do that with a title. That's it, plain and simple. So, um, you know, it's awesome to start it, but but let's be here at the finish and um, bring that thing back home. Yeah, John, you want to talk about winning a fan base? Our guy Dan McLaughlin, <laughs> he uh, he told us the story that he was texting with you after the news, and you texted him back and said, "I'm just ready to go get that title." Another guy who made the roster and was traded for here in St. Louis, Ryan O'Reilly, said the exact same thing, and we all know kind of how his uh, 
his legacy has led to. So I'm just assuming John Nagowski is going to be World Series champion and just throwing that out there right now for the Cardinals no fans. No pressure. Hey, that's perfect. That's perfect. We're just putting it out there in the universe, and then we'll just manifest it. That's it. John, I'm curious, though, uh, what was this spring training like for you? Because you look at a roster with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, and you, of course, being a natural first baseman, Signs not pointing towards, oh, this is going to be an easy path for me to making the roster, but you went through spring training and absolutely crushed the ball every time you stood to the plate. Yeah, it was it was a good spring training, and, um, you know, nothing nothing's really been easy in my career. I, I've never really had an easy path, so it wasn't super foreign to me to, you know, have to earn playing time, have to earn at-bats, and, um, you know, my role, whatever it was going to be, whether that day I was backing up Goldie or if I got a random start one day, whatever it may be, I just tried to be as ready as I possibly could. And, um, you know, that preparation starts in the off season and kind of figuring out what it's going to take for me to sit for four or five innings and then be successful in the six, seventh, eighth, whatever it may be. So, um, you know, kind of going in, I, I had a little bit of experience and, and kind of knowing, okay, this is what I'm going to do coming in late in games or, um, you know, not playing for two or three days and then getting that start. So that's kind of how I shaped my off season to try to prepare for that. So it wasn't a huge surprise whenever that was kind of the role that I was in in spring. All right, John. So as spring training is rolling on, as the at-bats continue for yourself, at what point did it become stressful? Because you're sitting there halfway through spring training. Numbers are really good. I mean, really good. You know that as the athlete, you're like, okay, I'm rolling right now. I'm in the zone. But then Cardinals start putting you in some high-stress uh, situations, getting an at-bat with the bases loaded, getting an at-bat when they're down by a run, looking to come back in the game. How hard was it to stay focused in that moment and make sure that you came through in those situations? Man, that's a good question. I, You know, I think I try to just kind of keep my circle small and, and, you know, not really read a ton of that uh, press or whatever, you know, look at my numbers or compared to somebody else's, you know, I try to just literally take it day by day at bat by a bat, pitch by pitch. I mean, it, it sounds simple. It's cliche, but that's kind of how you have to do it. The second you start looking ahead, you're going to miss the present that's right in front of you. So, um, you know, I kind of just treated it, as though it was my first at bat of the spring and um, tried to just put my best at bat that day, whatever it may be, whether the situation calls for a sack fly or to get on base or whatever it may be. um, That's kind of how I treated it. So I kind of kept the stress level low and, um, you know, and and just had fun with it and, and tried to pick these guys' brains along the way saying, Hey, you know, in this situation, what are you doing? I mean, I've got, as many great hitters as you could have in a clubhouse right next to me in my lockers, you know, with, with Goldie and Nolan and Yachty and, and these guys, I mean, it's, it's just, a, it was a learning experience for me. And I think I kind of just kept the, the stress level low throughout spring. John Nagowski joining us here on 101 ESPN. Now, John, my my athletic career peaked in high school when I caught a <laughs> a two point conversion in a varsity game, and that that was the pinnacle for me. So I can't hey. relate to making an opening day <laughs> roster. But you know, when I when I got the call and I heard that I, I was going to get the job here in St. Louis, you know, one of the things that happens is uh, your mind kind of runs through some of the things that have led you to where you are today. And I'm curious, you know, as as you get the news that you're going to make the Cardinals opening day roster, one of the most storied franchises in the history of baseball. 
did did something come through the back of your mind of all of the things like you said that you've been able to overcome and the ride that you've taken to get here what are some of those memories that flashed into mind no man for sure i mean you know it it all starts with in the yard with my dad you know taking fly balls and hitting with him and travel ball tournaments with my mom and my dad making trips down down to florida and um you know traveling all over the country i mean all these sacrifices that you make along the way to get to this point you know it it all kind of adds up and and then you start making these calls and you start being able to say hey thank you for this hey this is where i'm at you know thank you for this It, it just that was just so gratifying for me to be able to call my parents to be able to call my girlfriend to be you know who sacrificed for off seasons living in places that maybe we don't want to live in but this is the best place to train this is the best place to work out this is you know stuff like that i think it it was i was just extremely grateful to be able to have that opportunity to call them and say hey thank you this is this is why we we put this work in and and the sacrifices that we made are are paying off that's awesome john i'm curious i'm sure you've talked with guys in that clubhouse to prepare for what opening day will be like in St. Louis. And yes, you are starting the season on the road, but have you thought personally what that's going to be like for you when you look out at Bush Stadium, that first game here in St. Louis? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I just, I, I don't even know what to think. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just so excited and, and all the stuff leading up to it's going to be incredible. But then, you know, once that game starts, it, I've played a million baseball games in my life <laughs> and it's, I'm going to try to treat it just like that. It's probably going to be tough, but, um, you know, all that, all the stuff about opening day at Bush and, and all that stuff is, it's just incredible. I can't wait. And I'm just trying to take every moment of it in and, um, you know, at the end of the day, probably go home and write some stuff down and, and just some little memories that I have and, um, you know, treasure that for a lifetime. John, you talked whenever we had you on going into spring training about what your off season was like. You mentioned, hey, you know, I got I got myself into really good shape. Did did you go like Rocky Four this off season? Like, what what, what was this off season <laughs> like for John Nikowski? Just uh, yeah, I, no, I wasn't I wasn't running any stairs or anything like that. Nothing too crazy. Uh, but man, I just tried to really watch what I ate and and um, you know tried to really focus on kind of my body and how I can trim that up and be faster if I do need to play the outfield and um, you know what's going to give me the ability to be up for 162 and be at my best and um, you know I think a lot of that came down to diet and um, you know I always ate pretty healthy but the times that I eat and um, you know the specific food groups that I'm trying to target throughout the day post-workout pre-workout pre-game post-game stuff like that um, you know, that little bit of attention to detail, I think, over the long run, over that full season, because it is such a grind, the season's so long, it really takes a, um, a toll on you. So I think being a little bit extra um, aware, I would say, of, of what I was eating, when I was eating it, and, and the times that I was doing it, I think that really paid off kind of during this off season, and, and I saw some huge benefits from it just on how I felt on a daily basis playing. And um, I think that probably contributed to to the spring that I had. All right, John. So, you know, going into spring training, you had a lot of people pulling for you, obviously, friends, family, people here in St. Louis who didn't didn't know much about you. But you know you had us in your corner. You know we've been pulling for you since last year. And you you also know that we gave you a nickname. 
Now, mm-hmm. we've had other shows in the city and <laughs> as well on this station try to give their version of a nickname. But the nickname that's going to stick for at least here at 101 is what, John? Yeah, the Nogfather. You don't have to worry about that. I'm in St. Lucie. It's a 1 o'clock game out there, and I'm hearing the Nogfather. When I'm walking out to go warm up, I'm like, Okay, this is sticking. So we're just rolling with it. Is is that true? You really had people out <laughs> oh, there like saying, no, oh, father, no, father. <laughs> this is dead serious. I got Kisner calling me when I wake up in the morning. You know, hey, not get some Starbucks. I mean, it's, hey, it's taking off, though. It's there we go. So, so, John, now that, that you are, are known as the Nog Father here in St. Louis, I'm sure you're very familiar with this movie, but I think every time we have you here on BK and Ferrari or on the Fast Lane or on the Morning Show character and, and Small when Rivers visits. And when Rivers <laughs> decides to come visit you and your girlfriend in your house, there, that you, oh. have, you have a theme song now. You have a theme song now. We'll get Rivers set up. We'll get him a nice little air mattress. You know, we're not going to put him in the living room. We'll get him a bedroom, and you know, we'll, we'll get him some toiletries. We'll get him set up. There we go. We'll get a nice little spot. Yeah. I had a whole room built in my basement just for you. I got Cardinals bedding and everything for our sleepovers. That's a yeah. That's a tough sell with the girlfriend and the dog. But um, I'm not ruling it. Hey, it's it, just a tough sell, John. It's okay. Jamie has slept with dogs plenty of times before. It's fine. Yeah, he can handle outside that. after a bad night of drinking. I don't get let in. So. So, John, every time, you come, every time you come on now, buddy, we're going to have this theme song for you. <laughs> you are now known as the Nogfather yeah. here at 101 ESPN in St. Louis. That's great. That's great. Hey, John, for you, do you have a place here? Like, do you, when, when you get BK, to St. Louis, he's not gonna are give you... you an address. No, 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 no. I'm just making sure. Like, when, BK when you wants get to send here, you flowers. Are, are you going to be set up? Well, how, how does that work? Yeah, we're all set up. We, uh... We got a little apartment, and um, yeah, it's it's good. They we we have our dog with us, so um, it's got a little backyard, and and we got all set up. So um, I think I think my girlfriend's gonna get there a couple days early and and set it up and stage it because I'm very into interior design. You know, it's very important to me. Um, so so yeah, so we're, we're all set up. So we're, we'll be good by uh, by opening day for sure. Fantastic, man. Well, we are we are absolutely thrilled for you. We can't wait to see you take the field for the Cardinals on opening day. We're excited to see you out here in St. Louis as well, and for you to be able to enjoy the festivities that are Cardinals opening day. Thanks for the time, man. I know you've got a busy schedule ahead of you today. All the best. Good luck this season. We'll talk with you soon, my friend. Thank you guys so much. Anytime. Uh, yeah, just have me on. I can't wait. And uh, go cards, man. I'm fired up. Awesome. You're the best, man. That's John Nagalski. Better known as the Nog Father. The Nog Father. That's the baby. Nog Father. He hit his God, way onto the team. Guy. And what a what a special spring training it was for him. And what a special season. I, I really do believe this. Like, I know uh, people might think this is no he's really good like the guy can legitimately hit well, I, I thought and they this need somebody me, like him like this spring to me sorry but this spring to me every time he was at bat i was like he's going to have a solid at bat and bt who you know obviously is our mr baseball over here he eats every day he's like you, the guy just you can't get him out like three strikeouts nine walks in spring training no matter what, he's going to get on base. He's going to do something. That's the part for me, the, the walks. I mean, the patience that this guy has at the plate. Like, we talk about all the time how you have to wait for your pitch. He truly is waiting for his pitch. He knows what that pitch is. And it was phenomenal 
it was just masterful watching what he did at the plate throughout spring training against some big time pitchers. You know, I I've said this to you guys before with relievers, right? It's as much about the gut feeling when they enter the game as it is about the numbers. Like you can tell me what a guy has done in the bullpen. I don't care what the stat sheet says sometimes, especially early in the season for a bullpen guy. It's about how do I feel? Am I comfortable with this guy coming into this situation? When John Nagowski comes into a late game situation where you've got one out runners on the corners and you're down by a run or two, I feel pretty good that John Nagowski is going to come through in that situation, whether that be he ends up hitting a fly ball that scores the runner from third, or if it's he takes his walk and you get to the next run, you get to the next hitter. Maybe it's Tommy Edmond coming up with the leadoff man next. Like, I feel really good that he's going to come through in those situations. What I think, too, is the pitchers knowing his backstory here, because obviously they're going to look at the numbers. They're going to look at the numbers in the minors because that's sure. what they have. And they're going to go, okay, this guy isn't an easy out. Then they're going to look at spring training and go, okay, he's not an easy out. So he comes up in that situation. The pressure goes on to the pitcher now because the pitcher feels like he's got to be almost perfect because this guy waits. He waits on the right pitch. If you don't paint the corners properly, you're not going to get the call on this guy. He's not going to swing at. So in, as crazy as the stress levels, levels will be for John Nagowski, I think the pitchers are going to feel that stress too, knowing that this guy's got that great of an eye, and if you screw up, he's going to take you out of the park or at least put the ball in play. Reminds me a lot of Matt Adams in his prime when he was off that bench player where you felt like every time he came yeah. to the plate he was going to get a hit, and Jose Martinez. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We got this from the uh, 314. Guys, how can you not root for John Nagowski after hearing him? Amen. Exactly. He, he gets uh, it. You don't. He, he gets it. Like, <laughs> you don't not root for him. Th- that is... He's just an easy guy to root for. You look at his story going to independent ball and then making it back wet, back up to the bigs. It's really rare to do what John Nagowski just did. And for him to be able to make the opening day roster, despite the fact that he's got Paul Goldschmidt at his natural position of first base, you had about three or four guys that should have been ahead of him in the pecking order in terms of making this roster. It, he shoved all of those guys aside, metaphorically speaking, and said, I'm making this roster. He elbowed he, everybody out of the way, according to Mike Schilt. Exactly. And, and he did it. And he deserved it. And he earned it throughout. You got to love a guy training. like that who just throws bows out there. Doesn't even care who's around him, right? I don't care. Don't love care. It. Just throwing bows. Just complimentary elbows everywhere. Jamie, thanks for coming in for this, man. Wouldn't have had it any other way. Glad we could celebrate it. with you. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, all right, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, and Alex said, I need to get back to this because we need to talk about Mike Hoffman a little bit more. What do the Blues do with him? And if he is traded at the deadline, what does that mean about the signing? I actually don't think that means it was a failure. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. Yeah, the Nogfather, you don't have to worry about that. I'm- this is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Well, then what'd you bring him in for? Was he just a stopgap when Tarasenko was out? And then when Tarasenko comes back, then, you know, you push him down the lineup and put him in the press box. I just don't think that was the end game with uh, Mike Hoffman. They felt like he, he could, even if he gets pushed down to the third line, he could give them some depth offense. But to think that, you know, he can play strong five on five game, a defensive game and, and finish his checks. If that's what they envision, which I don't think they did, then, then I don't think that uh, this was ever going to work from the start. That was Jeremy Rutherford with us yesterday. We talked a lot about Mike Hoffman after he was a healthy scratch for the Blues on Sunday. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 
I have said for the last probably week or two now, I would not be stunned if the decision that the Blues make, based on the fact that they're starting to get healthy, is to maybe try to find a partner to take on Mike Hoffman. Because if I look at the Blues lines, I just don't see a great spot for him right now, given the fact that he's better on the right wing. He is kind of a one-dimensional player, and that one dimension hasn't really shown up of late. Alex, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, and we talked about it with JR there. I know we wanted to talk about it a little bit more. Where do you come out on this right now? Do do you think it would make some sense for the Blues to look at their trade options for Hoffman? Or what do you think they do with him to get the best out of him? I I don't think it makes sense to look for trade options with Hoffman because we did the NHL trade deadline tinder yesterday and we pretty much swiped left on everyone because there's nobody that makes makes sense for the Blues to go out there and acquire who's an upgrade over Hoffman. People can say, well, Hall's an upgrade over Hoffman. Yeah, but he also was the same player you're trying to fit into the system. Look, Mike Hoffman was brought here as a specialist. I mean, let's let's take it for it, it as it is. This was a guy who's a power play goal scorer. He's a guy who plays kind of pond hockey. He cheats offensively to try and get that odd man rush to take those shots. That's what Mike Hoffman is. The Blues brought him here because they didn't have Tarasenko for an unknown amount of time. They didn't know what Jordan Cairo was. They found out what Jordan Kyrou was. They found out that Tarasenko was coming back. Then they are they were heavy on the right side, where Hoffman usually plays. But I don't look at that as, well, he was a stopgap until they came back and then they moved on from him. No, he becomes a third-line player for you. Or in the sense of today at skate, he's playing on the left side with Shannon Perron. He's playing with Thomas and Kyrou today. Or excuse me, yeah, Shannon yeah, Perron. Perron. Samford's yeah. with Sanford. Thomas and Kyrou. He becomes a depth piece for your team right now. And now more than ever, I think you need Mike Hoffman, but you need him to adapt to your system. And I think that's what the healthy scratch was, according to Craig Ruby. So by no means do I think you look at Mike Hoffman and say, well, you did your job for us. You got eight goals until Tarasenko came back. Tarasenko's here. Kairou's here. Perron's on the right side. Hoff, thanks so much. We're going to move on from you for a second round draft pick. No, I think if you want a chance at a postseason spot and you want a chance to make some noise in the playoffs, you need Mike Hoffman because you need depth scoring. What's the problem right now with this Blues team? You can't score a freaking goal. Get Mike Hoffman adjusted to this system. Find out what makes the most sense. And I think he's going to be an asset for you down the stretch run rather than him being a liability and you have to trade him away. See, Mike Hoffman's been in the system, though. It's been 35 games now, and he hasn't adjusted because I think this is who he is as a player. And that's okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with what Mike Hoffman is as a player. He's been really productive throughout his career. He is, as you said, an ultra-productive, typically, goal scorer It just hasn't worked here lately. And that's been about 17 games now that he's gone on a prolonged drought of goal scoring and of productivity offensively. I think that the Blues personally are better suited with Ivan Barbashev in that spot in the lineup than Mike Hoffman. And I know that sounds weird because if you look at the Barbashev versus Hoffman statistics throughout their career, it's a no contest. Hoffman is clearly the more prolific goal scorer. But this team is not lacking for goal-scoring options. They're lacking in sustained offensive pressure. Schwartz, Tarasenko, Perron, Kairou, Shin. Those guys are all really good goal scorers, but I need them to continuously have the puck. I need the forecheck to get them on the attack. I need a guy that's going to go retrieve the puck. And Hoffman doesn't do any of those things. And so the way that I view it, I don't view it as a failure. If they trade him at the deadline, I would honestly view it as a success 
the goal for early in the season was to get through the Vladimir Tarasenko injury while having somebody that can cover for what Tarasenko would typically bring. Hoffman did that. He did his job early in the year, and he was productive for you offensively. It hasn't worked out of late, and that's okay. But I would now, moving forward, rather have Barbashev in that spot in the lineup, get my second-round pick for Mike Hoffman. Maybe you flip that or you wait until the offseason to flip it for somebody else. And I think you're a better team by doing that than by continuously having Mike Hoffman in a spot where he just doesn't fit. It's a... It's a square peg in a round hole, and I'm not sure that that's going to change. Yeah, but for me, uh, the other people need to adapt. The coaching staff needs to adapt and find a way to utilize Mike Hoffman for this team. Jordan Cairo needs to adapt and be able to play on the left side if Hoffman's the righty specialist because Cairo was naturally a center. He can move around if you need him to. Other guys need to adapt into the system so that Mike Hoffman can perform rather than one guy saying, well, he just doesn't work here. we got to find somebody else. Let me ask you this. Let me ask both of you this. T-Bone, you as well. If I were to sit here and say, would you rather have a player over Mike Hoffman? Tell me yes or no. Would you rather have a player named Zach Sanford in the lineup over Mike Hoffman? I think I could live with Sanford over Hoffman, yeah. No. I'd rather have Hoffman over Sanford. Would you rather have Kyle Clifford in your lineup over Mike Hoffman? It's not a one-for-one because Kyle Clifford's only playing the fourth line. Well, it is, though, because if you're putting Barbashev back in, Barbashev could be your fourth-line center and Bozak's on the left wing. Yeah, uh, that's fine. Would you rather have Blay in the lineup? I would rather have up the lineup further, though. Would you rather have Blay in the lineup over a Mike Hoffman or a De La Rose or a Joshua? Like... I can go down the depth All chart. All of those guys are fourth liners, though, and you're never you're never going to have Mike Hoffman on your fourth but that, line. But that's the that's the point I'm trying to make. You have a lot of guys who can play on the third and fourth line that you're trying to play up in the system. Or you have a guy who's making $4 million, who is a goal scorer, who can play on your third line. You just have to find a way to adapt and get the right chemistry with him. I'd rather have that player than a second-round draft pick at the trade deadline. Now, if I could package Mike Hoffman for a defenseman that is going to upgrade me this season and next season, then, yeah, I'm probably going to do it. But if this is my roster and you're telling me you can have Mike Hoffman for the rest of the year or you could trade him and get a second-round draft pick, I'm sticking with Mike Hoffman because I'm, I'm going to find a way to utilize him. I think they've tried, and we're just on, on different sides on this thing. I don't think it's going to change. I think what you've seen from Mike Hoffman is who he is as a player, and you're not going to be able to adjust that. And I'm not asking the rest of my roster to adjust to him because you're going to have another 20 games of Mike Hoffman, and then he's gone. He ain't coming back here next year. This is a one-year project, and we, we all knew that from the time that we signed up for it, and we were all good with that from the moment that they signed him. And now when I've got 20 games left, am I going to ask Kairu to adjust to Mike Hoffman? No, because Kairu is a part of my long-term building plan. He's probably going to be, for the long-term future of this team, paired with Robert Thomas. There's a good chance that happens. I want those two together moving forward. So on the right side, I've got Tarasenko, Perron, Kairu. I'm not moving those guys for Mike Hoffman to be able to figure things out on the left side right now is typically where your puck retriever would go. I like Schwartz in that role. I don't really love Sanford in that role, but I don't really have another opportunity. And the other guy that I do like is Barbashev, and I want him in the top six right now, honestly, because that's the kind of guy that you're missing on that left wing in the top six. And when you do that, it does basically, for me, become Hoffman or Sanford. Sanford has another year on his contract. He is a better asset for the Blues, both now and in the expansion draft or trade later on. 
I would rather keep Sanford than Hoffman. I'll take my draft pick for Hoffman. And this is not just for the here and now, but also for the building of the team moving forward. I think that's the best thing for them. And maybe that just switches things up a little bit in terms of the team chemistry. You're adjusting a few more things on the fly and maybe it clicks. Maybe it doesn't, but I don't think it's going to click as is right now because we've seen this now for 15 games clearly not working. I think I think these games over the weekend are going to be a telling sign because, again, we've seen players get the message from Craig Berube once they've been healthy scratched. I forgot who was with us. I think it was Rutherford uh, yesterday who was with us and talked about it. You know, Vince Dunn had to go through this. Robert Thomas went through this. David Perron has gone through this. Let me see what Mike Hoffman looks like for the next few games, because if he can find a way to be a little bit more aggressive on the puck, which is that's all Craig Bruby's asking for check, go after the puck. Don't wait for the puck to come to you. He might not be a fixed player, but he might be a better player in your system. So let's see what he's got. But I, I a hundred percent see where you're coming from BK. And by the way, if you're going to see it, these are the teams that you want to see it against. Cause these are the teams that you'll probably have to beat in the playoffs. It's Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota. Those are the teams that you play leading up into the trade deadline. And there are teams that you got to play heavy. If you want to beat them, this is your chance. Mike Hoffman, yep. if it's going to click for him, it has to click over the next week or two. And that's what we've got until the trade deadline. We'll be paying attention to all of that right here on one Oh one ESP in your home for the blue. Coming up on Friday night, it's Blues versus Avalanche pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario for that one. We'll begin right here on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock on Friday. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's get into some questions and answers. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers. Uh, let's start with this one from the 314. Guys, does BK even watch hockey? Guys, I, I do watch hockey. Guys, I, he did the pre and post <laughs> game. He's going to go back to doing the pre and post okay. game because the Blues won when he was on the air. Okay. No, Thank you. No, that is the wrong sound here. Mike Ryder, thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up. Down, okay, down there we is. go. There All we right, go. I'm excited. All right. Uh, all right, let's get into this one from the 618. Guys, do you think that the Cardinals can take anything from what the tech, uh, Texas Rangers decided to do with Runed Odor? If you missed this, the Rangers announced the other day that they are DFAing Odor despite owing him $27 million over the next two seasons. So they have $27 million that are they're on the hook for, and they're like, you know what, Odor, you're out of here. Do you think that applies in any way, shape, or form? And, of course, this is probably referencing Matt Carpenter for the Cardinals. First of all, does Texas have a stud at second base that needed to play? Because I don't know of a guy who's the top prospect that needs to play. I, I don't know to, enough about I the Texas Rangers I hate to say Rangers it, but I think they actually cut Odor so they could start Brock Holt. Oh, really? God. I think. God. If I'm not mistaken, I know Holt made that roster, I think is what it was. So here's the part with me, then. That confuses the hell out of me because Odor is not a bad player. He still at least is going to hit you 10 to 15 home runs. Going to hit above 250 for you or at least somewhere around that. So you're cutting $27 million because you don't like the player? Because you feel like he's not in your plans? If you want more playing time for some of these younger guys, then I get it. But if he was going to be... A piece. The Rangers aren't competing anytime soon. Yeah, that's the thing. So, no, I don't think this applies to the Cardinals and Matt Carpenter because it's a one-year deal that you have left on Matt Carpenter's contract. He's a bench player. He's an asset because he can play multiple positions for you. Odor 
is a better hitter without question. They're actually more similar than you'd think based on the numbers. <laughs> it's a it's a little closer than you would expect it to be with Odor versus uh, Matt Carpenter. I mean, I get it. $27 million is $27 million, but like I would understand it more if the Cardinals did that than the Rangers doing that. Sure. But I don't think the Cardinals should do that. See, I would I would take the opposite side of that. Now, I'm not saying cut him out of spring training, but I'm saying like if Carpenter's not hitting after the first month or two, then I think you look at it and say, okay, it's time to cut ties. It's a one-year contract, basically $18 million. I don't know if there's a buyout with uh, Carpenter's vested options. Uh, so It's $2 million, so it's basically so it's $20, $20 million. million. Dollars. And it's only going to be paid in one year. It's not like Odor where you're paying him over multiple years. So I think the longer you go into the season and the more he struggles, which I hope doesn't. I hope Carpenter can turn it around. But the, the longer you get into the season and the less he hits, the easier it becomes for that contract to be cut six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line from the three one four guys earlier today with john nagowski bk said one of the most storied franchises in major league baseball when referencing the cardinals do you think something like that would get into a young player's head whenever he's reaching the big leagues for the first time i think if it's a a guy like dylan carlson and i don't think it's going to affect the dylan carlson but you know where i'm going with this like a player who's 21 years 21 years old hasn't played much in the minors and is getting the call because he's got so much kind of cred to him a guy like john nagowski who is grinding through the minor leagues he's been with memphis for so many years and he's seen guys get called up i don't i think it actually makes a john nagowski better you know, because like you're giving him that shot that he's been wanting for so long rather than a guy who feels like it's deserved. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that because like a guy like Nagaski, as you said, he kind of grinds through it. And he said it, too, when we had him on that, you know, I've played a million baseball games. Once I get there, it's going to be cool. But once the game starts, I'll be fine. I think that's I think that applies to most guys. I think it is more pressure on like a Carlson, a guy that's supposed to be the savior of the franchise when he comes up to a well-known organization like the Cardinals or the Yankees or the Dodgers. Yeah, I, I just don't worry about that stuff, honestly. I think these guys are, you'd be stunned at how much they are just a one-track mind in terms of what the players, you heard him talking about his nutrition, right? John Nagowski earlier today. That is just one aspect of the stuff that he does. He's also taking his swings in the cages. He is, how do you know all this about John? Okay, well, baseball players in general, right? Like, it's a great question. They have so much that they do to get prepared for a game that I don't even know how much they're thinking about any of the other outside noise stuff. Yeah, it just a lot of the time doesn't play into things. And he's going to John Nagowski is going to be overwhelmed, but there is going to be so much that is taking place, especially in the first week or two of the season, while it's the Reds opening day and then the Cardinals opening day. There's going to be so much other stuff. I don't think that really plays into it a whole and lot. And also remember, he's not an everyday player yet. You know, he might get there, but at the beginning of the season, when that pressure would be on players, he's the guy that's kind of taking it all in and making his approach. You know, if a pinch hit comes in opening day at Bush Stadium, yeah, there's going to be some pressure with it. You know, the guys that it affects more are the guys who are hometown kids, like David Freeze. It affected him playing for the Cardinals. Sure. Like he was a stud in the World Series and then his game dropped off because he put so much pressure on himself. Those are the guys that it affects rather. You know, Luke Voigt probably went through a lot of pressure here in St. Louis being the hometown kid and getting the call up. So, those are the guys that take more pressure with story franchises than a John Nagowski. I also think for a lot of those guys, that's a really good point that you just made. It's a, it's more about like 
when they get together with their family, their family, instead of talking about the normal stuff, now their family's talking about the baseball side of yeah. things because your family's probably Cardinals fans, right? Mm-hmm. And you want that to be a release, and instead it becomes more of a pressure cooker Yeah, everyone's for you. reaching out to you for tickets, and how do I come see you? And yeah, you want to be able to go somewhere and not talk about sports. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up here in just about 20 minutes or so, more likely to happen. If you've got a couple of scenarios, you want to know which one's more likely to happen, send them in to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. We'll tell you which one is more likely to happen. Coming up next, though, gut feeling time, gut reaction time. Where are you at on this Cardinals team? You feeling good about them? You feeling a little down on them? Where are you at compared to where you expected to be when we started spring training? We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Hey, your Redbird Preview Week is brought to you by Cardinals Buick GMC and Cardinal Ford. It's 12.06. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So let's get a gut check, a gut feeling on where the Cardinals are right now as they enter the 2021 right, who's season. Who's punching someone first? It's definitely me punching you. You will hardly feel it okay, at all, let's Alex. Do it. It'll be Gut nothing. check time. So Anthony Stalter yesterday, I was listening to the fast lane. I thought it was interesting because he was talking about his level of confidence going into this season and why it feels to him a little different than it has in previous years. And I think I agree with his sentiment on this. I fully admit that the way I feel about the Cardinals has a lot to do with the rest of the division. And I think that that plays into what I said about the previous couple of years. I didn't think that the Cardinals had the best team in the division. I thought they lacked top of the roster talent. They had a couple of guys, but certainly lacked in that department. It was always low ceiling and high floor with the Cardinals this year, based on where I think the the rest of the division is headed, save for Milwaukee, and then you add Nolan Arenado, yeah, I feel good about it. If you switch division for Cubs, I think I agree with everything that Anthony Stalter just said. Because I think a lot of the way that I've looked at the Cardinals over the last really six years, basically since the start of the 2016 season, it it goes back to, okay, that Cubs, that team might be a behemoth moving forward. Because 2015 was the start of what we thought was going to be a prolonged run for the Cubs. I think it's over for Chicago now. I don't view them the same way that I did. And it started looking that way last year, but I didn't feel great about where the Cardinals were with their lineup going into last season. This year, with the addition of Nolan Arenado for the Cardinals, and with the state of flux that the Cubs are in right now, where I really do think it is more like we're going to do more likely to happen here in about 10 minutes, it is more likely to me that the Cubs sell off all their assets at the deadline than it is that they end up adding something to help their club for the stretch run. Especially so, now that they're pissing off their their legacy players in Anthony Rizzo. I it's mean, crazy. Like, what else is going to happen? So that plays the biggest role for me in how I feel about the Cardinals going into this season. I don't view the Cubs anymore as a real threat in the division or a um, the, the number one contender in the division the way that I have basically each of the last five years. And that makes me feel a lot better about the, where the Cardinals are. Nolan Arenado changes everything in terms of expectations for this team, because without him, I would have the same feeling that I did last year. Heck, we had that same feeling for so long leading up to the, the trade. They're not going to be any good. They don't have the talent to hit. They're going to be bad offensively. And then with the pitching, it would have been, I mean, it would have been panic button, like smacking it as hard as possible. Arenado changed all of that because you got a guy who is a 
a patented three-hole hitter who is going to drive in 100 runs and hit 30-plus bombs in a season for you. He raises those expectations for me. So, yeah, I'm with Anthony. My expectations this ceiling or this season are best in the NL Central, playoff team that can make a run to the NLCS. And I think anything less than that, in my opinion, is a bust for a season. I would agree with that. I, I think the Arnado deal makes it to where you should be the favorites in the National League Central. Now, I I will say this. I, I think Milwaukee's floating under the radar. And I, I feel like, I know I've sat here and said, oh, they could win 95 games. I, I think the Cardinals are going to be in a dogfight with Milwaukee till the end of September. I think they're going to win the Central. I think it's going to be close because, like I said, I think Milwaukee's underrated. But I agree. If you don't win the NL Central and then you don't make a – playoff push at least where maybe you lose in five games or if you don't get to the NLCS I think you can view the Cardinal season as a bit of a disappointment 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show somebody says but guys but who won the division last year wasn't that the Cubs it was the Cubs won the division last year and I think sometimes we forget that honestly they also had a Cy Young pitcher and I just looked this up when you Darvish was on the mound last year he started 12 games for the Cubs last year they were nine and three when he started. Nine and three when he was not on the mound as their starter. They were twenty five and twenty three. They were a five hundred ball club last year when you Darvish wasn't starting the game. Well, he was dominant and then, for them. I mean, they're they're one through three, and, and I know he's trended downward, but John Lester was still one of the better pitchers for them that season as well. So their one, two, three was Darvish, Lester, and Hendricks. Hendricks is number one, and then from there, who do they have? I don't know. Davies, maybe. Da- and, and that I have no He's been injured half of the, in the yeah. last couple of seasons. And I mean, your bullpen, your bullpen's gotten worse because you've moved on from some of the best pitchers out of that bullpen for you, and you've pissed off two thirds of your top position players in Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant. I still think they can be good this year. I still think the Cubs have the the talent position player wise to be a pretty good team. I do not look at them anymore as. That is the Batman and the Cardinals are the Robin. I don't look anymore like that's big brother. Cardinals are little brother in the division. And for from from like 2016 to really up to 2020. So 2016 to 2019, that four year span. I felt that way every single season going into the year where I, I did not think the Cardinals roster talent wise matched up well against the Cubs this year. I think the Cardinals are actually a more talented one through 26 than the Cubs are going into the season. I think the Brewers, you're right, Tanner. I think they're the better team um, between the Cubs and the Brewers. I think they're the, they're the team that's most likely to take down the Cardinals in this division. I do not look at them either though, as an unstoppable force going into the year. The only teams that I view as that in the National League are the Padres and the Dodgers. And the nice thing for the Cardinals is that neither of those two teams is in the NL Central. So I feel really good about this team. And a lot of that is a reflection of how I feel specifically about the Cubs. But you could expand that out to the rest of the division as well. How do you guys feel about the Reds? They're they're kind of one that kind of is like the Cubs for me. I like the lineup a lot. I look at the rotation. You've got two guys that are going to be really good, I think, in Castillo. Or Cassiano and uh, what's the other one? Gray, Sonny Gray, who's going to start the year on the injured list. I look at them and I go, okay, they don't have a very good bullpen. They've got two great starters and the lineup can hit. I don't want to say they can win the NL Central. I think they're going to be better. A 60-game schedule, when you struggle like that Reds lineup did and had the expectations that they were going into last season as the NL Central favorites, and you struggle to hit early, the pressure gets put on you really quickly in just a 60-game season. Got a lot of fluky hitters, in my opinion, though. Like, like, But in that ballpark? 
Yeah, but it might click. I, plus, the Reds are a team for me that I mean, look, they they sold, they didn't bring back Trevor Bauer, who gave them their best shot at being the best team in the NL Central. They've been in, in well, they traded away Rossiel Iglesias, their closer. They've been in conversations of trading away Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo. I mean, this is a team that I think if they're kind of in the same situation as the Rockies, if they're not the, the best team in their division by June, they're going to start selling off pieces and trying to restart what they have done in the past. One of the reasons why I'm so high on the Cardinals pitching relative to the other two gentlemen that I'm in this room with is because of their defense. One of the reasons that I'm lower on the Reds pitching going into the season is because of their defense. Yeah, their defense might be bad. It could be all time bad. Like it, it might be absolutely horrendous this year defensively for the Cincinnati Reds. I know they play in a small ballpark, but if I'm an opposing team going into Cincinnati this year, all I'm doing is saying to my roster, just put the ball in play. Good things are going to happen so long as you put the ball in play. And with their pitching this year, I I think a lot of teams are going to be putting the ball in play, and I don't think that is the kind of defensive setup especially on the infield, that is going to help them win many games. So I'm I'm kind of out on the Reds this guys, year. Guys, we need to change our tone. I, I didn't even know. Did you guys know this? Uh, MLB, the show, simulated the season, and the Cardinals were third in the division. Oh, bleep. Yeah, so it's <laughs> over. Oh, it's no. over. I, I mean, if, if MLB, the show, is simulating through it, and they're third behind the Reds, or by the Brewers and the Cubs... It's game over, boys. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's play a game of more likely to happen. You give us a couple of scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely to happen next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Hey, your Redbird preview week is brought to you by Cardinals Buick GMC and Cardinal Ford. It's 12.06. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So let's get a gut check, a gut feeling on where the Cardinals are right now as they enter the 2021 right, who's season. Who's punching someone first? It's definitely me punching you. You will hardly feel it okay, at all, let's Alex. Do it. It'll be Gut nothing. check time. So Anthony Stalter yesterday, I was listening to the fast lane. I thought it was interesting because he was talking about his level of confidence going into this season and why it feels to him a little different than it has in previous years. And I think I agree with his sentiment on this. I fully admit that the way I feel about the Cardinals has a lot to do with the rest of the division. And I think that that plays into what I said about the previous couple of years. I didn't think that the Cardinals had the best team in the division. I thought they lacked top of the roster talent. They had a couple of guys, but certainly lacked in that department. It was always low ceiling and high floor with the Cardinals. This year, based on where I think the, the rest of the division is headed, save for Milwaukee, and then you add Nolan Arenado, yeah, I feel good about it. If you switch division for Cubs, I think I agree with everything that Anthony Stalter just said. Because I think a lot of the way that I've looked at the Cardinals over the last really six years, basically since the start of the 2016 season, it, it goes back to, okay, that Cubs, they, that team might be a behemoth moving forward. Because 2015 was the start of what we thought was going to be a prolonged run for the Cubs. I think it's over for Chicago now. I don't view them the same way that I did. And it started looking that way last year, but I didn't feel great about where the Cardinals were with their lineup going into last season. This year, 
with the addition of Nolan Arenado for the Cardinals and with the state of flux that the Cubs are in right now, where I really do think it is more like we're going to do more likely to happen here in about 10 minutes. It is more likely to me that the Cubs sell off all their assets at the deadline than it is that they end up adding something to help their club for the stretch run. Especially so, now that they're pissing off their their legacy players in Anthony Rizzo. I mean, crazy. like what else is going to happen? So that plays the biggest role for me in how I feel about the Cardinals going into this season. I don't view the Cubs anymore as a real threat in the division or a um, the, the number one contender in the division, the way that I have basically each of the last five years. And that makes me feel a lot better about the, where the Cardinals are. Nolan Arenado changes everything in terms of expectations for this team, because without him, I would have the same feeling that I did last year. Heck, we had that same feeling for so long leading up to the, the trade. They're not going to be any good. They don't have the talent to hit. They're going to be bad offensively. And then with the pitching, it would have been, I mean, it would have been panic button, like smacking it as hard as yeah. possible. Arenado changed all of that because you got a guy who is a, a patented three hole hitter who is going to drive in a hundred runs and hit 30 plus bombs in a season for you. He raises those expectations for me. So yeah, I'm with Anthony. My expectations this ceiling or this season are best in the NL central playoff team that can make a run to the NLCS. And I think anything less than that, in my opinion, is a bust for a season. I would agree with that. I, I think the Arnado deal makes it to where you should be the favorites in the National League Central. Now, I, I will say this. I, I think Milwaukee's floating under the radar. And I, I feel like, I know I've sat here and said, oh, they could win 95 games. I, I think the Cardinals are going to be in a dogfight with Milwaukee till the end of September. I think they're going to win the Central. I think it's going to be close because, like I said, I think Milwaukee's underrated. But I agree. If you don't win the NL Central and then you don't make a playoff push at least where maybe you lose in five games or if you don't get to the NLCS, I think you can view the Cardinal season as a bit of a disappointment. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Somebody says, but guys, but who won the division last year? Wasn't that the Cubs? It was. The Cubs won the division last year, and I think sometimes we forget that, honestly. They but, also had a Cy Young pitcher. And I just looked this up. When you Darvish was on the mound last year, he started 12 games for the Cubs last year. They were 9-3 and three when he started. 9-3. and three. When he was not on the mound as their starter, they were 25-23. and 23. They were a 500-ball club last year when Hugh Darvish wasn't starting the game. Well, he was dominant and then, for them. I mean, they're, they're one through three, and, and I know he's trended downward, but John Lester was still one of the better pitchers for them that season as well. So their one, two, three was Darvish, Lester, and Hendricks. Hendricks is number one, and then from there, who do they have? I don't know. Davies, maybe. D- and that I have no He's been confidence. injured half of the, in the last yeah. couple of seasons. And I mean, your bullpen, your bullpen's gotten worse because you've moved on from some of the best pitchers out of that bullpen for you, and you've pissed off two thirds of your top position players in Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant. I still think they can be good this year. I still think the Cubs have the the talent position player wise to be a pretty good team. I do not look at them anymore as. That is the Batman and the Cardinals are the Robin. I don't look anymore like that's big brother. Cardinals are little brother in the division. And for from from like 2016 to really up to 2020. So 2016 to 2019, that four year span. I felt that way every single season going into the year where I, I did not think the Cardinals roster talent wise matched up well against the Cubs this year. I think the Cardinals are actually a more talented one through 26 than the Cubs are going into the season. I think the Brewers, you're right, Tanner. I think they're the better team 
um, between the Cubs and the Brewers. I think they're the they're the team that's most likely to take down the Cardinals in this division. I do not look at them either, though, as an unstoppable force going into the year. The only teams that I view as that in the National League are the Padres and the Dodgers. And the nice thing for the Cardinals is that neither of those two teams is in the NL Central. So I feel really good about this team. And a lot of that is a reflection of how I feel specifically about the Cubs, but you could expand that out to the rest of the division as well. How do you guys feel about the Reds? They're they're kind of one that kind of is like the Cubs for me. I like the lineup a lot. I look at the rotation. You've got two guys that are going to be really good, I think, in Castillo or Cassiano and uh, what's the other one? Gray, Sonny Gray, who's going to start the year on the injured list. I look at them and I go, okay, they don't have a very good bullpen. They've got two great starters and the lineup can hit. I don't want to say they can win the NL Central. I think they're going to be better. A 60-game schedule, when you struggle like that Reds lineup did and had the expectations that they were going into that last season as the NL Central favorites, and you struggle to hit early, the pressure gets put on you really quickly in just a 60-game season. They got a lot of fluky hitters, in my opinion, though. Like, like But in that ballpark? Yeah, but... It might click. Could. Plus, the Reds are a team for me that I mean, look they they sold they didn't bring back Trevor Bauer, who gave them their best shot at being the best team in the NL Central. They've been in, in well, they traded away Rossiel Iglesias, their closer. They've been in conversations of trading away Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo. I mean, this is a team that I think if they're kind of in the same situation as the Rockies, if they're not the, the best team in their division by June, they're going to start selling off pieces and trying to restart what they have done in the past. One of the reasons why I'm so high on the Cardinals pitching relative to the other two gentlemen that I'm in this room with is because of their defense. One of the reasons that I'm lower on the Reds pitching going into the season is because of their defense. Yeah, their defense might be bad. It could be all time bad. Like it, it might be absolutely horrendous this year defensively for the Cincinnati Reds. I know they play in a small ballpark, but if I'm an opposing team going into Cincinnati this year, all I'm doing is saying to my roster, just put the ball in play. Good things are going to happen so long as you put the ball in play. And with their pitching this year, I I think a lot of teams are going to be putting the ball in play. And I don't think that is the kind of defensive setup especially on the infield, that is going to help them win many games. So I'm I'm kind of out on the Reds this guys, year. Guys, we need to change our tone. I didn't even know that. Did you guys know this? Uh, MLB The Show simulated the season, and the Cardinals were third in the division. Oh, bleep. Yeah, so it's <laughs> over. Oh, it's no. over. I, I mean, if, if MLB The Show is simulating through it, and they're third behind the Reds, or by the Brewers and the Cubs... It's game over, boys. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's play a game of more likely to happen. You give us a couple of scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely to happen next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The Air Comfort Service tax line for more likely to happen. You give us a couple of scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely to happen. All right, let's get into this, Alex. More likely to happen. The Blues make the playoffs or the Cards make it to the NLCS. Blues make the playoffs. Cards make it to the NLCS. You are putting me in the worst situation ever because I love both of these teams. I do pre and post for the Blues, so I'm the rights holder, but I got to go the Cardinals win the World Series. Make it to the NLCS. Oh, make it to the NLCS. Cardinals make it to the NLCS. Blues make it to the postseason. So Blues finish top oh, four so in the division. Oh, so this is different than the other text that I read. Okay, my apologies. Oh, I'd say the Blues make it to the postseason. 
Because to make it to the NLCS, you'd have to go through the Braves, the Braves, the NL East team, or the Nationals, frankly. I mean, the Nationals could be a really good team this year. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's 50-50 for me. Like, I, I, both scenarios, I see a good path. The Blues have a tough challenge, but I think they'll be up for that challenge. Well, the Cardinals would probably, yeah, they, they'd go they win the NL, NL Central, East. you take the NL East. you figure they'll be, what, the third best yeah, team and they'll be a division The wild card team's going to be taking on mm-hmm. the the NL Either West. the Dodgers yeah. or, or the, the Padres. Padres, whoever wins I, that. I'm going to go with the Blues here, um, frankly, because I, I think the schedule shows a path. And the Cardinals are just beginning. It shows a path, BK. Look into the numbers. You're the nerds guy. Look at the numbers. Hold on. Look at the numbers. What part of the Blues schedule says, oh, yeah, there's a clear path for the Blues to make make the postseason? Yeah. Because Arizona and L.A. play each other seven times, which means it's a one-team race between the Blues and the Cardinals. Meanwhile, the Blues and the Kings and the Coyotes. Like the, the Blues are hockey. playing. The Blues are playing the Avalanche. They're okay. The Vegas Golden Knights. They're okay. And the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, okay. but understand what I'm saying. The two teams that are fighting, like it's a three-team no, race right you. now. It's a but two-team race. One of those teams is probably going to win more games against the mm. other than the Blues against nope. Vegas. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I think more nope. likely the Cardinals get to the NLCS. It's a trash take. Both of you. It's a trash I think, take. I think they could get past the Braves or the Mets or the Nationals or the Marlins or whatever the other team is in the NL East. I'm forgetting. Because I think all five of those teams could win that division. I'll say the Cardinals get to the NLCS. I look at the blue schedule and I go, holy crap, they are in for a possible rude awakening. Maybe you two should be more optimistic. I'm pretty optimistic about the Cardinals. Oh, gee, yeah, I know. (laughs) This is the best rotation in baseball. I didn't say that. (laughs) Top 10, maybe. Oh, Um, God. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm I'm with Tanner. I think I would go with the Cardinals making the NLCS. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line from the three one four guys. More likely that Bryce Harper wins an MVP by the end of his career, or one of Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt wins an MVP as a Cardinal. So Bryce Harper wins an MVP at some point in his career, or Arenado or Goldschmidt win an MVP as a Cardinal. I think Bryce Harper's best chance of winning an MVP was his time with the Nationals. I mean, I, I just. I don't, it's so hard to be Bryce Harper right now in the Phillies. Well, it's not hard to be Bryce Harper when you're making as much money as he is, but he had a really good year last year, by the way. He did. We but, don't talk about but it. But nobody cares unless Philly's actually competitive, right? And, and Philly's in the NL East where you're behind the Braves and the Nationals. So it's always kind of the, 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 the black sheep of the group, right? You're the runner up to the runner up. Whereas the Cardinals, if even if they're in a, in a race with the Brewers, you're always looking at Arenado and Goldschmidt. So I would say more likely that Arenado or Goldschmidt win an MVP before Harper. I'm with you. I, I think it'd be Arenado Goldie. I look at Harper, and I think he's a great player, but he's kind of up and down. And he always sometimes struggles with injuries. You mentioned last year was a great year. 2019 was pretty good. 2018 was okay. So I look at Harper, I go, eh, kind of inconsistent. Maybe he could. And kind of like you said, Alex, the Cardinals are going to be in the race for the division the whole time. So I'm going to say Arnado Goldie more likely. It's interesting because I actually think that Bryce Harper's become a little underrated as a player. Um, I, I mean, he is really good, man. He's had an OPS between 900 and 1,000 basically each of the last four seasons. This is his prime. And I say all of that while also saying that I think the answer to this question is Nolan Arenado. Like, put Paul Goldschmidt to the side for a second. 
I think Nolan Arenado out of these three players is the most likely to win an MVP at some point in the next five years. So I'm, I'm going to go with Nolan Arenado as being the most likely to win an MVP out of these three. 65780 is the air comfort service X line for more likely to happen, guys. Uh, more likely to be traded by the Blues at the deadline. Mike Hoffman or Vince Dunn? More likely to be traded by the Blues at the deadline. Mike Hoffman or Vince Dunn? This is not saying it will happen, but yeah. more likely to. I'd say more likely would be Vince Dunn because you can get something back for him. I don't know what you could get from Mike Hoffman that Doug Armstrong would deem, okay, yeah, that's worth getting rid of a guy who scored 25 to 30 goals. Vince Dunn is a desired um, asset for a team kind of either rebuilding or a team that might be on a push. And with Jake Wallman and Nico Mikla, all of this dictates on Colton Pareko coming back, but with Jake Wallman and Nico Mikla both being able to play the left side, both playing a little bit similar style to Vince Dunn, I could see the Blues saying, ah, you know what? Vince Dunn's going to get us maybe a first-round pick or some type of prospect. Mike Hoffman's going to get us something that's not even going to be an asset for us. So I'd say more likely Vince Dunn. I'm kind of 50-50 on this one because I think there's a good chance that maybe both could be dealt, possibly. I think I'm going to go with you. I think Vince Dunn is more likely to be traded because, like you mentioned, you've got Mikola, you've got a Wallman that are ready to come up, and they all already are playing. you got Perunovic next year, too. Perunovic, too. Yeah, so I think it's more likely that Dunn will be traded. You guys don't think that I'm going to back off my stance now, do you? You never do. I... <laughs> A good point. Um, I'm going to go with Mike Hoffman. I think that they're going to give him a chance, as Alex said earlier. He made a really good point. I think they're going to give him a chance to get this thing figured out and to put him in a situation where, hey, if this doesn't work for you, it's just not going to work here. And I fear that it's not going to work. And so I would say that it is more likely that Mike Hoffman ends up getting dealt at the deadline for the Blues than Vince Dunn. More likely to happen, guys. Let's go over to the NFL. NFL draft in particular. It seems like Mac Jones is actually going to be the pick at number three for the 49ers. What are we doing? I'm still having a tough time believing it. But more likely to happen, Trevor Lawrence ends up as a bust with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Or Mac Jones ends up winning the Super Bowl for the San Francisco 49ers. Trevor Lawrence is a bust or Mac Jones wins a Super Bowl. Which one's more likely to happen? I have I have left Alex Ferrario yeah. speechless. God, you stunned me like you stunned Ankeeler earlier today, which was impressive, by the way. That's rare to be able to do. Uh, Ask him a tough question. I'm okay. Act like that's all he has are tough questions. <laughs> I'm gonna say more likely that Lawrence is a bust with Jacksonville because I do not see Mac Jones getting close to a Super Bowl. Did you see that cannon though? Yeah, he missed the receiver. <laughs> You by twenty by five yards. yards. No, it was like twenty. The air conditioning kicked on. Oh, but did you? <laughs> but did you see him use his creativity and you know hand the ball off to Najee Harris and get thrown a touchdown for ten Philly yards? Special. Yeah, but there was so no one defending him. Uh, nobody defends you when it's a trick play. Oh. Trick play. That's, That's true. A good point. That's a great point because it's tricky, huh? Huh? No, it's more likely that that Trevor Lawrence is a bust in Jacksonville because I don't know if you put a good team around him in Jacksonville. I don't think Lawrence is going to be a bust, so I'm going to say more likely that Mac Jones can win a Super Bowl with don't San Francisco. Nod your head, BK. I'm not, I'm not so. I don't think he's the third third best quarterback coming out of this draft, but I don't think he's going to be. He'll win it on the injured a list. Big bust. So I, I think Mac Jones could win a Super Bowl with San Francisco. <laughs> I, 
call me crazy. Crazy. I think he's right. I think that the more like I do not think I don't know if Trevor Lawrence is going to be what we've cracked him up to be. I, I don't know that he's the second coming of Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Steve Young, all wrapped into one. When was the last time a Clemson quarterback was great? Well, we can say that about every program. When was the last time a Texas Tech quarterback was great before Patrick Mahomes? You know, I was, like, I was wanting you to come back at me with Patrick with uh, Deshaun Watson. It's fine. <laughs> Touche. Uh, there's other stuff there. Um, so. Touché. With Trevor Lawrence, I don't know that he's going to be as good as people are cracking him up to be. I think he's going to be a pretty good player, though. I I find it really hard to believe that he fails. I think at, at a minimum, he's going to be a solid quarterback in the league. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Mac Jones is going to be any good. I really don't. But he's in such a great situation in San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan is a fantastic offensive-minded head coach, and he's going to be there for the long haul. He's a very young guy that's going to be there for the long-term future. He's got a great left tackle and a pretty good offensive line. He's got some weapons with Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. I love him having uh, George Kittle across the middle. And it's a pretty good defense as well. You've got a big-time piece on the outside with Nick Bosa. I think it is more likely that the 49ers, because they are such a complete roster, find a way to win a Super Bowl with Mac Jones as their quarterback than it is that Trevor Lawrence completely busts with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I just don't see Mac Jones being that much better than Jimmy G. And I know they got close with Jimmy G, but didn't win it. I think he's more likely to stay on the field. And Jimmy Garoppolo, the problem with him is not his level of play. It's the fact that he can't stay on the football field. He's played like 35 games in his professional career because he's always hurt. If he was available, I I don't know that they would be looking to move on from him right now. What is that saying? The best uh, ability is availability. That's the problem from Jimmy Garoppolo. Is that a saying? Of yeah, course that's it is. a saying. <laughs> with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, let's keep this going with the NFL quarterbacks because there are still quite a few teams that could use an upgrade at quarterback, and the options are starting to dwindle. Who would we like to see end up with the Patriots or the Broncos? What are their options that remain? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I think they really do like Jimmy Garoppolo and think they can win with him, but they've reached a point where they can't count on him to be on the field. He gets hurt. So, and Shanahan said that yesterday. He's like, we love him, but we, we can't, we can't keep losing seasons to quarterback injury. I think they'll, they'll draft a guy. And when said guy is ready to go, they probably say goodbye to Jimmy via trade. Now that could be the day after the draft. It could be in training camp. It could be in October, uh, all those possibilities. That was Dan Graziano on ESPN earlier today talking about the 49ers and what he expects them to do with their quarterback situation. They're not alone. So you've got at the top of the draft right now, Jacksonville is very likely expected to take Trevor Lawrence number one overall. At number two, it's become seemingly an open secret in the NFL that BYU quarterback Zach Wilson will be the answer at number two for the New York Jets. Everybody seems to be speculating that Mac Jones, the Alabama quarterback, is likely to go number three now after the 49ers traded three first round picks to get up to number three to go get their new quarterback. Mac Jones seems like he's the answer for them. That's where the answers seem to stop. 
That means the Patriots, who have the number 15 pick and Cam Newton at quarterback, do not really have an answer there yet. The Broncos, with the number 9 pick and Drew Locke as their quarterback, don't have an answer yet. The Eagles traded down from number 6. They now have the number 12 pick. Jalen Hurts, I guess, is going to start for them this year. The Bears have Andy Dalton. They're picking 20th. That's an answer. The Lions, I guess, have Jared Goff, who the Rams wanted nothing to do with. They pick seventh in the Panthers at number eight. They have Teddy Bridgewater, but they've made it known to everybody that they would like to upgrade. That is a lot of teams that could still use a quarterback going into this year's draft. So the team that I've got my eyes on, guys, is Atlanta at number four. Do they need a quarterback in the here and now? No, you can get away with Matt Ryan. I still think he's a pretty solid quarterback, but he's not getting any younger, and they just started over with a new head coach and a new general manager. That regime has no attachment to Matt Ryan. What do you guys think? I think the draft now starts at number four. Trey Lance, Justin Fields likely to be on the board at that point. What do you think happens once we get to the fourth pick? Will Atlanta take one of those guys? Or do they potentially trade down and maybe it's Detroit, Carolina, Denver, one of those teams that trades up to get their guy there? How many years does Matt Ryan have left with Atlanta? Is it two? So his contract, he just restructured it in the way that it works. They basically can't get out of it until next year at the earliest. So this year and next season is what they have for Mm, Matt Ryan. At the earliest. So I I just, I don't think it... It doesn't make sense to draft Justin Fields because Justin Fields seems like a guy who is ready to go from day one. At least that's the way they're projecting it to be. So if I'm Atlanta, maybe if I feel Trey Lance needs a year, he'd be a guy I'd go with. But I think the smarter option for Atlanta would be to trade down, get a little bit more assets, maybe get a first round pick for next year and then try and get that quarterback next season. Who do you like to trade up? I like the Panthers to straight up because I don't know if the Panthers think they're going to get Justin Fields at number eight. And I know at least the reports are saying that they love everything about Justin. So I like the Panthers to move up to number four and go after Fields there. But the Patriots like Trey Lance an awful lot. And they like Mac Jones, which I don't think they're going to be getting. But I'm sure they'd love to get a shot at either Trey Lance or Justin Fields. So they could move up to that one. So I'm not sure, but I don't believe Atlanta picks at number four. See, I think Atlanta will take Lance. I, I think they realize Let that, him sit for a couple let him of sit, years. Learn and then behind he gets Ryan. It. Yeah, I to me that makes the most sense because I understand And by the way, Trey Lance is the former North Dakota State superstar. He had one year as a starter, really, but he he lit the world on fire at the FCS level. his numbers are spectacular from when he was a starter there. The thing, the thing for me is that it doesn't make. I understand the idea because they say trading down is makes a lot of sense for teams. Mm-hmm. I, I understand getting the assets, but to me, you look at it and you go, "All right, well, that means we're going to be drafting a quarterback in two years, maybe." Do we, it's hard to look that far ahead in the draft. Yeah, but you, you have an idea. But you don't think Miami did the smart move there and saying, "Look, two is our guy at least for now," but we've just, we've just like took a king's ransom of getting first-round picks for years to come, and if we need a quarterback, then we can adjust. Yeah, but two is a younger quarterback. Ryan is basically on the decline now yeah, in his contract. Yeah, but you're not going to sit him. No, no, I'm not saying sit him. I'm saying you draft a quarterback to be the here to the throne. Yeah, and you have Ryan there for another two years, yeah. then you cut ties, and you've got the guy ready when he comes. The thing that scares me about Lance is he, to me, feels like a Deshaun Kaiser where he comes into the league, you know, Oof. highly, ta- kind of highly touted, maybe not ready. He only had the one star, as you mentioned, BK. 
to me, he kind of, that's what scares me about him is that he reminds me a lot of Deshaun Kaiser. He's got some special talent. It's just a matter of do you trust what he did at North Dakota State? Like, do, Does that translate to the NFL? And so much of this, guys, is about stuff that we just don't know. It's about what they have mentally. What is their mental capacity to process the information and then to put it out there on the field? I didn't think Justin Herbert was that great at Oregon. Like I would watch some of Oregon's games and I was like, I, I don't, I don't see it. I, I see all of the talent it's there, but he didn't seem to ever put it together. He's big. He's strong. He's athletic. But when I watched Oregon, I wasn't like, yeah, that's the dude that is like taking them to another level. But he apparently is a super, super intelligent guy. He got into LA. They put him into a great situation. And I think if you redid that draft now, you might take him over Joe Burrow at this point, just after seeing the one season for the two of them. So it's so hard to know going into these things. Josh Allen, same thing. I would watch some of the stuff that he did at Wyoming. I'm like, there is no way that works in the NFL. No way. He's huge. He's athletic. He's strong. He's got a cannon of an arm. Okay, there's no need for fat jokes. But there is no way that Josh Allen doing this in the NFL is going to work out. Well, guess what? It did. He adjusted. He was able to become a little bit more accurate. They insulated him with talent all over the field around him, and he became really good. So I just, I have so much less confidence in my quarterback evaluations now than I did five years ago because it's so hard to get these things right, man. Even the guy, the guys that we're talking about, 50% of them are going to bust. Mm-hmm. 50% of the guys that go in this year's draft will be a bust once they get into the league. That's it's a matter reassuring. of making it. You're playing roulette, <laughs> and 50% of the time it works, and you end up being, getting a guy that's top 15 quarterback. 50% of the time, you end up going back to the well five years from now. You say 60% of the time, it works every time. But I got I got two scenarios that I need to ask about, and tell me if I'm crazy with this. One, Pittsburgh Steelers, 24th pick. Do you go Kyle Trask there? No, Kyle Trask stinks. He's no good. Trask is trash? Yeah, he's no good. Is that trending? There's five quarterbacks worth taking in the first round this year. It's the three guys that we just talked about that are going to go at the top, and then it's Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Those are the five guys. If I'm the Steelers and I want to get a younger, talented quarterback, I'm looking to the trade market, and I'm looking at Sam Darnold. If I want a guy with some pedigree, that's the guy. I'll give you a third-round pick for him. And it, or a conditional third Sam round. Sam Darnold, right? woo! <laughs> the future. Yeah. It's not great, but it's kind of like, remember when the uh, the Dolphins traded for Josh Rosen? It didn't end up working out for him, but that's a top 10 pick from a year ago that they traded a second for. And if it works, if he ends up, it clicks for him when he's with you, well, you just got a franchise quarterback for a second round pick with some great pedigree. That's how I would view it for the Steelers. Okay, and I got another one. Now, yeah. I let you guys down with my tinfoil yesterday. Correct? Like, we all, we all, it that was, was that was yeah, bad, Tim yeah. Ferrari. Okay, I got a new one for you. All right, it's so a Patriots 15th overall draft pick. They were at the pro day for Mac Jones. And everyone's like, oh, they love Mac Jones, right? They want that Nick Saban guy because Bill Belichick and Nick Saban are boys. What if they're not there for Nick Saban and Mac Jones? What if he's there for Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy G? What if he's there to kind of spark the conversation of a... I can't do Anthony Stalter's Bill Belichick voice, but I'm going to try it. Kyle, you guys love Mac Jones. You're going to get Mac Jones a third overall. Jimmy G's, he's not a bench player. Not healthy for you. Send him back over to New England. We'll give you a second-round draft pick for him. That's much better. Boom. Nailed it. 
That's much better than what you put together yesterday. Yeah, yesterday was trash. I'm I don't sorry. Even remember what yesterday's was. Trask is, is trash. I'm sorry. Yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo is an answer for the Patriots. Makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think they could get a second, third round pick for him, maybe conditional. Do you, do, then does Newton become your bench player? Yeah. Yeah, Cam's your backup. Just one-on-one. Newton can be a, a fullback for you if you need him to be. Good huh? cheer, good guy on the cheer yeah, squad. Yeah, cheer squad. Yeah, Do all the post-game pressers. He's your backup quarterback going into the season. You know that Jimmy Garoppolo is likely going to miss some games, and when he does, you have Cam Newton as your starter, and you feel pretty good about that situation. That kind of attitude. I'm really interested. The, t- the teams that I'm most interested in are the Lions, Panthers, Broncos at 7-8-9. Those three teams. Because there's two quarterbacks that are left in this year's draft. Two. And all three of those teams could really use a starting quarterback that they feel really good about. Not just for 2021, but also into the future. One of them's going to get left without one. Where do they then turn for their quarterback? You think Detroit's going to get a quarterback after trading for Jared Goff? They didn't want Goff, and I don't blame them. Goff was a throw-in. Goff was, the the Rams had to make that move to be able to get the cap situation to work out okay. And And you got an extra pick out of him. Just taking his contract, you got an extra first, I'm pretty sure. That was a salary dump like we see in the NBA. Yeah. Where they get extra assets because they took on Jared Goff. So Goff is not in any way preventing (laughs) them from taking Honestly, the Broncos are going to be the team that's going to be left standing. Without a without a dance partner, I mean, honestly, especially locks a lock. No, lock lock was a lock, and that's not a Babu moment there. They, the Broncos, need to figure something out. Honestly, if the if the Panthers end up getting a quarterback, maybe they trade for Teddy Bridgewater, and that that's the answer at least for the here and now because they're. I don't know if you guys have been paying a lot of attention to what the Broncos have done this offseason. They have a pretty good roster. I'm surprised they got Von Miller back. I thought he was going to be gone. Yeah. They got Von Miller. They they end up getting Kyle Fuller from the Bears. They look like they're going to be pretty, especially defensively with Vic Fangio, they, they're going to be pretty strong going into this upcoming year if they can get a quarterback. Am I crazy? Or, yes. Okay. Locke, to me, still has the potential to be what they thought. Yeah, I think crazy. part of the, really I crazy. think part of the problem is he does he hasn't had an offense, think, good offensive coordinator with him, and they hired a defensive minded coach. I think John Elway's got a better shot of helping that team win now than Drew Locke no. with Alex Ferrario and Tanner <laughs> Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so, the final four is set. How much excitement do you have about this year's final four? We'll get into that coming four, up right. in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So we'll get into the junk drawer here in just a minute, but Robert Murray of Fansided just tweeted this out. Want to pass along the news to you guys. According to him, uh, he's an MLB reporter for Fansided. Said Randy Rosarena and the Tampa Bay Rays have had recent discussions about a potential contract extension, according to a source familiar with the situation. It is unclear on where those talks stand right now. Ten years, three hundred million dollar contract. Guys, guys, ask me how many home runs Randy Rosarena hit this spring. Actually, I would be curious. I have not even checked in on Randy Rosarena's numbers this spring. The big goose egg, really? The big goose egg. Ten. Nope, nope. There's not a one in front of that goose egg. It's just a goose egg. Oh, zero. I think he had three RBIs? Two hmm. RBIs? Hit 480? No. Oh. More like 180. 
Woof. He was 237 in terms of his batting average this spring. Don't look at that. Ooh, that's not good. Struck, struck out 11 times and had one walk. Those are not good indicators. Uh, Let's give him a $300 million contract. Was better than Carpenter. Oh. Okay. Well, uh, not significantly. You didn't trade him for Carpenter. That, that, that is something worth following this year in all seriousness. I'm telling you, I think he was a one, well, he was a multi-hit wonder. I don't know if you're going to see that same Randy Rosarena. You won't. I mean, that's Babe Ruth, so I don't think you're going to see that. Hey, but if you're giving him a contract extension, although Tampa makes a lot of stupid mistakes. No, they Tampa. do? Like what? <laughs> when it comes to roster construction? Trading away Blake Snell. That wasn't a stupid mistake. Uh, you know, for them, just... the way that they do things, maybe not. Mm, but it was. Okay. <laughs> Alex, what do you have he for us cheap. today in the junk drawer, my man? Uh, I told you guys the commercial break. It's time to address the uh, the worst news ever. Okay. And I'm not sure if you guys saw this, but it's about to get really bad in April and May, guys. Really bad. Oh, no. Cicadas are about to make their comeback. Oh, why yeah. do we do this? I Woo-hoo! feel like we do this every like four it, years. Uh, we are at the 17 year mark. They come every 15 and 17 years, if I'm not mistaken. There's I've... different breeds because, you know, I'm a bug expert. <laughs> um, and, uh, boys, it's, it's coming into Illinois, which is like right on the the borderline of next to St. Louis. So I think we're going to be having some cicadas this year. So how much of a problem is this for us? Like, do I, do I need to be preparing for this? I don't know if it's going to be like, you know, I don't know if you heard, but I, I recently purchased a house. Does it have a lot of trees in the backyard? We have a huge tree in the front yard. <laughs> huge oh, tree. Yeah, that's the worst. Is that I, problematic? I solely bought the house that Katie and I did because there are no trees anywhere near it, so I don't have to deal with that. So what is what does this mean? Like, am I going to have... Because our, our window to the bedroom is actually, like, right next to the yeah, tree. So it means you're, you're not, not going to sleep. Yeah, it means that you're not going to sleep, and you're never going to be able to enjoy that, you know, nice window breeze in the springtime because... Because otherwise, cicadas are coming in your front door. And I don't know if you guys know this. There's a couple things I'm afraid of. One, I don't like snakes. Definitely afraid of snakes. Two, I freaking hate cicadas. Really? They are the creepiest bugs out there. And I've dealt with brown recluses. I've dealt with roaches. I've dealt with bed bugs. Cicadas are the worst. Because they're blind, they're huge, and they fly around and they will freaking bump into your head and then they just... Oh, it's horrible. That's true. Horrible. I don't think they're that bad, though. Okay, go stand under they're a tree during cicadas. They, they are annoying, but, you know, a little background noise. You got the cicadas no. making the noise while you're trying to sleep. Easy. What? Easy. Well, you like the, the, the loud buzzing noise that goes on 24-7 when you try and sleep? You know, a little background noise. Oh, Jesus. Ambient, the last time, ambient noise. That is not ambient noise. The last time that the cicadas were here, I guess 17 years ago, huh. uh, I was driving. This was like when I was... Because I was, I don't know, 18, maybe. How old were you 17 years ago? 17 years ago. 13. (laughs) 13. You were driving, eh? No, I I was driving, but I was driving in the passenger seat. I won't forget it, though, because freaking one flew in the door and then just got stuck in the car window and was just flying around in the car, but had a panic attack. I don't do cicadas. They are the worst. So apparently uh, for Missouri... We are expected to have our next, they call them a brood, apparently. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our next brood is expected to be in 2024. So we've got a few more years here in Missouri before it gets super bad I don't know here. if you look at the map that I looked at. It's literally on the borderline of Illinois right next to St. Louis. PK's going to chop down that tree. Yeah, there, there's a little a little guy. Is that Sajay? No, 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 no. It's the other side of the state for Illinois. 
It, it could be getting close to, I mean, Tanner lives those in. Are, those are different bugs that I you get see, in Sajay. I don't see the map that you guys are looking at, but if it's Southern Illinois, oh, yeah. It's Southern Illinois. Oh, it looks like so- Southeast Illinois. Oh, is yeah. it's, literally, it's literally on the bridge of East St. Louis. Hey, Alex, can I ask you a question in the junk drawer real quick? Uh, you're always able to ask me a question, buddy. So we haven't had an update lately on the on the baby girl. Oh, yeah, we haven't actually. How How are things going at home? Uh, by the way, for anybody that great. is a, a new listener, potentially Alex, what has it been uh, a month now? Yeah, it's four weeks today. Actually, Alex had a, a beautiful baby girl a month ago. He is now back into the studio. He had his couple of weeks at home. And uh, I'm just curious, you know, a month into this fatherhood thing, what things are like for well, you. boys. I experienced something for the first time yesterday that I haven't experienced yet. Um, and like everyone experiences poopy diapers every once in a while, right? But I experienced the poopy diaper where it was literally not just in the diaper, all the way up the back. Oh, we call those the blowouts. Those were the blowouts. It was Mount Vesuvius going on in the middle of me feeding her. So I'm holding Adelaide and sitting her up while I'm it's feeding like a her. Volcanic eruption. Oh, just... it was horrible, dude. So we're sitting there and I'm feeding her. Katie and I were about to go on the walk. Uh, walk. Katie was showering, and so I'm holding, feeding her. Next thing you know, she's done. I set her down and I start to change the diaper. It's not just the diaper that's all brown. It is the back of her onesie all the way up her back. It got to the point where it was like, okay, what do I do? So I just shout. The one thing you can do when you're a new parent is shout for the other significant other like something's wrong and they come running. I'm like, uh, Katie, she came flying out of the bathroom like mid shower with a towel. She's like, what? Like, what do I do with this? She was very pissed off, but I experienced that for the first time. Um, didn't know you're not supposed to put them in the bathtub, like mid poop. Well, how did you not know that, man? Yeah, so I put her in. I say that as somebody who has zero experience. <laughs> I, I well, obviously you got to rinse it off. I didn't know you're supposed to wipe it off, then put her in. But I put her in the baby carrier in the bathtub, and uh, mom was not very happy. So it's going great, man. It's going great. Pro. Are you sleeping more yet? You know what? We are sleep. We're not sleeping horribly. Every like four, hours, we're getting seven hours of sleep in three hour increments. If that makes sense, sleeping for about three hours. She wakes up, needs a feeding. Three hours here, needs a feeding, and then by that time, it's six o'clock in the morning. There's no point in going back to bed. What is she doing now? Like it? You know how there's this right? She's like probably applying for jobs right now. Not not oh. at this. Ex- no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but like they got a hard worker. What is she starting to learn about the world? Right? Is is she starting to um, move around more? Is she flopping over on her belly? Like where are no. we at on, the, on those stages now? She's at the stage of trying to keep her head up, but it's like very difficult. Like she'll do the she'll do the bobblehead stuff where her head goes and it just and then it drops down again. Uh, she she does not like laying on her stomach more than about a minute. No. She'll put her there. She'll stare. And she'll be like, oh, this Tommy is Tommy Time's not her And favorite. then Tommy Time's like, boom, just screaming bloody murder. Somebody pick me up. Um, other than that, she still can't, you know, because they, they, they don't see objects. They kind of only see shapes and basically black and white. But she knows voices. So, like, whether it's Katie's voice or my voice, as soon as one of us walk in the door or say something... The, the eyes kind of bug out and she starts looking around. We're trying to decipher right now who she looks like. Like, have you ever had that with, with babies I mean, and family? Babies just look like potatoes. There's not a whole lot of oh, resemblance My baby to does not look like a potato. I'm sure yours is different, Alex. She does not look like <laughs> a potato. That's what BK Most says babies. to everybody. I'm sure yours is different. 
in general, ba babies all kind of look the same. To, to me, to me, to me. 657800 comfort service sex line. Am I wrong on this? Yeah, my baby does not look like a potato. I've seen a potato and it doesn't look like a potato. That's the one, the one comparison he's figured out. Not a potato. Now, which one does she look like more? Yeah, we don't know or... that. We don't know that. That's the part that's hard. Like, have you seen that before? What do you think? I More features look like me. Eyes, nose, mouth. But I hope it's not me because that's not going to. The baby would be better looking if it was my wife, not me. Touche. Like better That's future, fair. better future in terms of looks if she's more like her mother than I am. I just don't want my baby to have my my nose. Kara has a a normal sized nose. I've got the Italian like full on beak, and so if we could, if we could just avoid that, that would be wonderful. They do say that babies uh, genetically take their father's nose. Well, here we go. So get excited about the bump in the middle and the full on beak. It's gonna be great. Well, I'll tell you this then, BK. As soon as uh, he or she comes into this world, whenever you and Kara decide that is that is the time, you'll know the moment you see it. You'll be like, "Yep, that's my baby." I'll say it looks like a potato with Alex Bray. Look at Anderson. our potato. I'm Brandon Kylie. <laughs> Coming up next, I think Gonzaga has completely changed the way that I look at mid-major coaches. I'll tell you why. And are you guys excited about this Final Four? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So, yeah, they're going to go down in history as one of the best. There won't be an asterisk, but there will always be detractors saying, well, they did it in the WCC. Bear in mind, in the non-conference, they went and played everybody they could, and they didn't just beat them, Jay. They dominated them. Whether it was Kansas, Iowa, UVA. So they've been dominant in their games. That was Dalen Cliff talking about how Gonzaga has become one of the best teams ever. It's hard to disagree with that. I, I don't know how much you guys were able to watch the game last night, but my God, that offense is incredible. Would, would you consider him the best ever, though? Because I was listening to Seth Greenberg earlier today on Get Up, and he said their conference was all against the West Coast. It wasn't yeah. in the in the dogfight of the Big Ten. And I know the Big Ten hasn't had any success in the tournament, but... In the regular season, if they were playing some of those other power conferences, would they be undefeated Have still? Have you looked at what their non-con schedule was this year, dude? They played KU, Auburn, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia. Yeah. I mean, that's that's as much of a gauntlet. Those five, six games as any team has played so far this year in their own conference. It's I'm not going to take anything away from what this team has accomplished and the numbers that they are putting up in the tournament. I know it hasn't been like a murderer's row of teams, Norfolk State, Oklahoma, Creighton and USC. Uh, now they're going to get UCLA to be able to go on to the right to play in the national championship game. I get it. That's that's not a, a fantastic group of teams, but. I'm not taking anything away from this squad, man. They have been incredible. Now, if you want to, if we want to parse this out, are they the greatest team ever? No, probably not. And even if they go undefeated, I'm not going to claim that. But in terms of what they do offensively, they're one of the most efficient offenses we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Can't take that away from them at all. No. And I do think that what we have seen from Mark Few, I'd be curious to get your guys' thoughts on this. I think it might change the way that I look at mid-major coaches moving forward because there was once upon a time that the, the skepticism that you're talking about right now with Gonzaga, that was the prevailing thought for Gonzaga every year. It was, hey, they play in this weird conference. It's kind of a, a second thought. Yes, they'll make the tournament. They'll be really good throughout the year, and then they'll lose in the second round, and that's it, right? 
I don't think we really view them that way. And their last three tournaments that they've entered, or really, you could go back to the last four tournaments now that they've entered. They were the runner-up in the national championship game. They made the Sweet 16, they went to the Elite Eight, and this year they're already in the Final Four. That's a powerhouse. That is as good as any program that you can talk about. You could throw out any other program. I'll say I'll put Gonzaga right up there with them. Have we arrived at a place where guys like Shaka Smart, Brad Stevens, Porter Moser at Loyola, they're as they should be as content staying where they are as a mid-major to potentially build something similar to what they have at Gonzaga right now as they would be if they went to a power five school. Like it, are we now there where if you're a coach, if you're Porter Moser, just put, put yourself in his shoes. Do you feel confident that now seeing what Gonzaga has been built into, I can build that at Loyola. Whereas 25 years ago, I don't know if this existed anywhere else. Can you do that now in college basketball using this as the formula? It sure seems like it. I mean, I've never under, well, I've understood because college coaches, they're moving around because it's payday, right? That's where you're getting sure. your money. But if you're at a university like a Brad Stevens was or like a Porter Mosier is or like a Mark Few is, to move somewhere else and go to another program and try and build the system that you've spent five, six, seven years to build – why would you take that chance of having to restart? Because you might not be able to do that again. I mean, if you're a great coach, you can build that culture. But a guy like Porter Mosier, like recruiting is only going to get better for you because you've built this 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 storyline surrounding your university and your program that we can go into a tournament as a eight seed and run the table and make a run or Mark few, a team that looks at it and says, well, a lot of people say we're just in the California and the West coast and we don't have chances, but we have the team in the system to do it. That makes a lot more sense to me than being a college coach and saying, I'm going to go three years here. Then I'm going to go get my payday and move somewhere else. Then I'm going to go move somewhere else again. This is the system that I think needs to stick because this is how I think you can build that repetition of being successful rather than moving somewhere else and your career kind of hits a dud. I agree with you. I, I think we're at the point where he has made it to where being at a mid-major, or even not even a mid-major, in my opinion, you can build a program. And it's not like college football, where there, it is you have to be in a Power 5 conference to get into the playoff. Yeah, you can't make the playoff if you're at Houston, for exactly. instance. right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you could build a program there that is really successful, really sustainable. And your but best bet, New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, you're, you're never going to be able to play with the big boys. That's what makes it great about college basketball, is you can get in. You don't have to have a great non-conference schedule. You win your conference, you're into the tournament. And then you start to make a run. Like, you look at Loyola Chicago. You mentioned them, BK. They were in the Final Four, what, four years ago? They got to the Sweet 16 this year. Honestly, they could have. I know they didn't win, but to me, they could have won that region easily. I think it's become easier for these college coaches to say, okay, we get in, if we can make a run, and then we can just do it kind of consistently. So let's say one year we're Sweet 16. The next we can get back to there, and then we get to an Elite Eight. You can build that program, and there's there's no pressure. There's no pressure as there is, is with the Blue Bloods. You look at Duke, Coach K, national title or bust. You yep. look at Kentucky, you're getting all these uh, one-and-dones, national title or bust. You don't have that. Gonzaga now kind of has that because the program is where it's at now. But if you look at Loyola Chicago, them getting to the Sweet 16, that was fantastic. If you're Kentucky, that's a disappointment. I also think if you look at Gonzaga, like even in his down years, Mark Few is still a hero there. Like that dude yeah. eventually is going to have the basketball arena or the floor named after him right. at Gonzaga. Meanwhile, if he did something like this, to your point, uh, at Kentucky, he's just one of the coaches. He had success for a time. That's great. Wonderful. 
but you're never going to build up like a UCLA, right? You're never going to be the guy there because you're following other guys that have done it there before. I feel like the poster child for all of this is Shaka Smart. What we just saw him go through, he was at VCU, had a ton of success there, was the hot name for everybody. He ended up getting the job at Texas, had some success there, went to three NCAA tournaments. It wasn't enough. It ends up they decide to mutually part ways. I know they say that he took the job at Marquette. Let's be honest. You don't leave Texas for Marquette unless it's a mutual decision to part ways. And now he's at Marquette, which I think is a really good fit for him. And I think Marquette's one of those schools where if I'm Shaka and I have success there, I'm staying there. Mm -hmm. I'm not going anywhere else because I can have a sustainable program that builds over the years the way that we're seeing with Gonzaga. I think things have changed. And we got this text from uh, the 217. Guys, Porter Moser probably makes a lot less at Loyola. A power five could give him three or four million dollars per season. From what I can tell, and it's all private, it's a private institution, so this stuff is not allowed to, it doesn't get out publicly very easily. I have read that he makes roughly 1.5 to 2 million dollars per season. Right. You could get up to three or four. You could definitely make more money going elsewhere if you're Porter Moser. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to go somewhere else as opposed to having the ultimate job security knowing at Loyola, you're the guy. You're the one that has built that program into what it is today. It is sustainable. You can continue doing what you just did this year where you went to another Sweet 16 and you're you're doing really well in your conference. Is it really worth it to leave that for the possibility of going elsewhere and having some success, probably not as much as you're having at Loyola, and then if it doesn't go the way that you want it to, four years from now, you're getting fired again. You stay where you're at, and you have a lot more of a leeway where if you go somewhere else, the expectations are put on you to immediately be the guy that you were at the prior university. Nobody cares of how long it took you to get to that point. They want you to give results immediately. Look at Indiana. I mean, Indiana is a perfect example. Anybody who comes there has to have results immediately, and if you don't, they don't care about building that program. And a guy like Porter Mosier, yeah, he could make three or four million dollars. But if you continue the success with Loyola, you go back and you say, I need a little bit more money. And I guarantee they'd be fine giving you that because you've built something that is helping the university out rather than you going somewhere and trying to do that. Everyone wants to be Nick Saban, right? Like you want to own an entire state because of the success that you have. Yes, Saban makes a ton of money. But he got that from building the system in Alabama and kind of moving up to this point. I'd rather be Nick Saban where I own basically an entire state because of what I've done rather than go somewhere and try and build that and not have success. I think the program to look to is probably now this guy's gone because he's a crazy person. But Greg Marshall at Wichita State, that's who I was thinking of what he was able to build there as being kind of a a smaller program, a quote unquote mid-major where he is uber successful, makes a ton of money. And he's going to, he wasn't a crazy person. He would have gone on to be one of the uh, best possible coaches that you could have, right? He's every off season. Everybody's like, Hey, can we go get Greg Marshall? No, he's going to stay at Wichita state because he does really well there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somebody from the three, one, four says, do you take a better radio job? If your salary doubles completely different situation. And also my answer is probably no. My family's happy here in St. Louis. I want to be here. Mm -hmm. I want to do a show on one Oh one in St. Louis. So somebody could eh, this is probably not a great negotiating tactic for me, but somebody could double my salary. And it's probably the answer is no, because I'm not moving. So if I'm Porter Moser and I want to live in Chicago because my family's happy there, I'm successful professionally in Chicago. And I know that I'm going to continue having a sustainable product. Huh? 
I'm not leaving that for the possibility of the grass being green or elsewhere. I don't need that mm-hmm. because I know that based on what I've seen at Gonzaga, what I previously saw at Wichita State, we can go ahead and keep this thing going here at Loyola of Chicago. I think th- things have just changed in college basketball yep. now. To one seventeen, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's get to some Cardinal superlatives coming up next. Best position player, best pitcher, and who do you think is going to be the most disappointing player for the Cardinals this year? We'll get into all of that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues joining us coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so, but let's get into some Cardinal superlatives boys. Uh Oh, start with this one. Best position player for the Cardinals this year will be who, who are you guys going down as the best position player for the Cardinals in 2021? If anybody says other anybody other than Nolan Arenado, they should be hitting the head. Oh, I was going to go bold. Okay. You don't want to go bold. Who's sure. bold? No, who you going with? sorry. Tommy Edmond. As the best position player, you think he's going to be better than Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado? No, I'm just saying going not bold. dumb. No, I'm just thinking bold. But it, I think it will be Arnado. Okay. But if I had to have like a kind of a risk-free bet, dark yeah. horse, I would say Tommy Edmond. Tommy Edmond is like would be fourth on my list before I would even get there. Wait, who's so third? Goldie. Arnado, Goldschmidt, and yeah. I put Carlson before Edmond. Hmm. I could listen to the argument about. Edmund, though. I could see it. I couldn't. Before, before before Carlson. I, I don't think you can make the argument over Goldie or Arnado. Well, oh, yeah, no, there's techni- no way. Technically, no Goldie way. and Arnado were like four or five on his top 20 most important okay, players. changed since then. Come on. By the way, we didn't even mention Paul DeYoung when we were just talking about that. That's because Paul be DeYoung... I would say <laughs> either him or O'Neal. I was going to say, think. I think I'd put O'Neal over Paul DeYoung right now just for trending. Uh, next one up, by the way, I'm with you guys. It's, it's Nolan Arenado, best position Thank player you. for the Cardinals. Best pitcher for the Cardinals this year. That does not mean starter. Best pitcher for the Cardinals this year will be who, Alex Ferrari? I'm going to say Alex Reyes because I think he's going to be used in multiple roles. I know it sounds like it's closer to start off with. I think that's going to turn into go-to reliever. Could be starter at some point. But I think we're talking about a guy who could be one of the better pitchers in the National League this season that's not a starter. So I'm going Alex Reyes as my best pitcher. I'm going to go Adam Wainwright. I think he looks really good in spring training. And I I think he kicked father time in the you-know-what. And I think he's ready. Gonads. Yeah, gonads. I think think he has a chance to be the Cardinals' best pitcher this year. BK, say Dakota Hudson. No. (laughs) That seems unlikely. (laughs) Hey, he's going to have a zero ERA. I love your pick of Alex Reyes. I really do. But I'm going with a stock answer here that I think is going somehow. We talked about this yesterday under the radar. It's Jack Flaherty. I really do think he's going to get Cy Young votes this year. I think Jack Flaherty is going to be Carlos. (laughs) Well, hey, I think Jack Flaherty is going to be one of the 10 best pitchers in the National League this year. And so I I think that. that the Cardinals, I don't know that they're going to have multiple guys that are top 10 pitchers in the National League, so I, I'm going to go with Jack Flaherty as I, being the best pitcher for them this year. I see your Jack Flaherty being one of the 10 best pitchers in all of baseball this year, and I'll and I'll raise it by Alex Reyes is going to be the best bullpen pitcher this year in, in the National League. Totally in play. I, I think it is totally in play that he wins NL reliever of the year yeah, this year. I mean, I think I, I'm talking Josh Hader in his pun intended, heyday 
Devin uh, Williams. Devin Williams last year. Andrew Miller in his times with the yeah. Cleveland Indians. Like, that's what I'm seeing out of Alex Reyes this year. Breakout player for the Cardinals this year. Who you got, Alex? Breakout player. Alex Reyes? No. No. Let's say you can only use uh, one player once. One, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right, T-Bone, stop using say, the same guy. Let's say Jeez. you use the same guy. Um, I'm going to go with Tyler O'Neill. Because I, I, I do believe Tyler O'Neill is okay. trending in the right direction. I think spring training showed that he has made adjustments. I heard you guys talking with Ankiel earlier today saying the confidence has to be an all-time high for this guy with a gold glove, being an everyday player, moving away from Dexter Fowler. I think we're looking at a guy who could finally move into a cleanup hitter role for this team. So I'm going to go with Tyler O'Neill. Are we going to say that I used Edmund already? Or yeah, no? you just did. Yep. What do you mean? Are we going to say if we well, use Edmund already? He was a dark horse. I didn't say he was going to be that guy. So then I, if I can't use Edmund, because I think he would be the guy, I think I'm going to use Carlson. I, I think he'll break out this season. And I, I, th- I know I've said, I think he'll hit lower than five for most of the year, but I think he's going to be, have a good enough season where they tempt putting him in that 5-4, somewhere in that range in the batting order. Nogfather, 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 Nogfather. I didn't want to steal him from you, boy. Let's be honest. I didn't want to steal him. I actually legitimately think that he's going to be a really important player for the Cardinals this year. If they don't have the DH, he's going to be in some really, really high leverage situations where you're going to the bench. It's a late inning. You got to have it right now. Who's the first bat that you're going to off of the bench right now? Carpenter. It's John Nagowski. Oh. And I think he's going to come through in some really big moments to win this team some games. I think he's going to be a breakout player for them. And by the way, if they do end up in the next 24 hours, 26 hours, I guess, adding in the designated hitter, I think John Nagowski is going to have a number of opportunities as your DH this year as well. I didn't want to steal him from you because he's, he's, he's your guy, but... I do believe John Nagowski is going to be forced into a position like Jose Martinez was. He's going to be forced into playing right field because of the way that this man approaches the the the, uh, the plate. Most disappointing player this year. If you had to guess the most disappointing know, player for the Cardinals going into this year, who would it be for you? Mine's going to be Harrison Bader. And I, guys, by the way, you guys ready for Harrison Bader at this point? You, you starting to feel a little better about him now that Justin Williams is starting for you every day in right no, field right I'd now? I'd like to see what Justin Williams Give has. Give him a chance. Go I'd ahead. like to see what he Give has. Give him a chance. I, I just, I, I think we're going to start seeing the point where Harrison Bader's trying to think of the, for a lack of a better word, excitement wears down. And I know a lot of people in the text are like, this wear down five years ago. I just don't know if the defense is going to be the excuse anymore of why this guy has to play. I think Dylan Carlson getting a shot in center field. I'm very intrigued by this. And if he has any success there, I think we could be seeing a guy who may become a center fielder for the Cardinals moving forward. Uh, Justin Williams is going to get a shot. Austin Dean's going to get a shot. I know that Bayer is going to get that shot when he comes back, but I do believe we're going to hit the point at some time this year and say, I think we have lost it with Bader. Now we're going to have to go out this offseason and find that corner outfielder because we know O'Neal and Carlson are the two guys that we need. Yeah, he was almost a guy I was going to take, but I think I'm going to go Paul DeYoung. I, I haven't gotten the good feeling from spring training, and I understand he's got a pass, so don't read into the numbers. But I don't know. Just no, he's something, one that's fair. I, oh, yeah, good. I don't blame Perfect. you. Perfect. Then, uh, yeah, it's I think DeYoung. one DeYoung, good take you have. I think we're going to have – that's hurtful. I think we're going to have uh, – 
DeYoung, I think he's going to be streaky, but I think he's going to be too inconsistent for the Cardinals. And he's going to start the year more than likely as a cleanup hitter. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets bumped down the order to that 5-6 spot. I will go with one that's kind of out of the box because it has to do with the expectations that I think have gotten a little too high for somebody. I'm going to go John Gant. Relative to the expectations that people now seemingly have about John Gant, I think he's going to be a little disappointing. I think John Gant's a really good player. He's a good baseball player. He's good at baseball. He's a great baseball player. Um, I also think that he is a swing guy that is fine to be a spot starter, but is probably not a starter long term. And I think somehow we have switched from this being a, hey, John Gant might be an option for the rotation to, hey, John Gant's probably going to be in the rotation all year. I am not there at all. So I would say relative to the expectations right now, this does not mean that he has a bad year. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think John Gant's probably going to be my most disappointing player. Get to Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues coming up here in just about five minutes or so player most likely to be traded that is currently on the Cardinals roster. Since we can't reuse the same player because I I would say Harrison Bader, but I'm going to go with Ponce de Leon. And I think Ponce is going to be in, in, in asset for this team this season. Even if he's not in the rotation, when Michaelis and Kim come back, he's still a guy who comes out of the bullpen. But I also think he might be the piece that can get you something, at least a part of a package. Whether if it's you're looking for an upgrade as a pitcher at the trade deadline, or if you're looking for that corner outfielder spot, if you're in a rut, I think Ponce can be a piece like Austin Gomber was a piece. Um, And it might be the opportunity to showboat this guy a little this season in the rotation. So I would say the player to be traded would be Ponce for me. See, mine's going to be Gantt. I think Gantt's a guy that you could move. I think... I don't know if he's going to he can be the starter as you mentioned BK he can be a good setup guy in your pin. I just view him as a guy that a lot of teams would like and if you have to go get say a corner outfielder for example, you might have to put him in the package. So I'm going to say John Gant. I'll give you two. I'm going to say Edmundo Soso would be my one. He was one I thought of too. Who's going to take Edmundo Soso? I think it's going to be something where it's uh, like you get a player uh, to be don't. named later or something like that. I I I don't Goals. know that he has a long-term fit for this team. My other one would be Justin Williams. I'm very curious to see what he ends up looking like in right field. And if he performs well, I wonder if they try to sell high on him. They say, you know what? We like what we have with Dylan Carlson as our future right fielder. Justin, appreciate you, all of the contributions this year. But when Harrison Bader gets back, he's going to be our everyday center fielder. Carlson's going to be in right. We like Tyler O'Neill left. We're good here. Justin Williams is going to be the guy that we move on from. I think he would probably be another one that I would throw into that category. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, there is some blues news today. It looks like we might not be far from the return of Ivan Barbashev. Colton Pareko might be getting close to his return. We'll talk about all of that and what it could mean for the blues lineup when Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. to go out to the Brownie and Krupen celebrity line. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joining the show. He does so on a day where it looks like there's some positive news for the Blues injury front. Finally! Jeremy Rutherford reporting earlier today that Bruby said uh, Ivan Barbashev is a possibility for Friday. They're going to wait to see how he feels after today's practice. 
Berube also said that Pareko in a little bit of a different situation. He was skating with the team today. They're going to continue to monitor him. It sounds like it's day to day with him. But Curbs, with both of those guys, I I know that nobody knows when they're going to be back. But when they do return, what do you think they do for this Blues lineup? How much do they change things for them when they're in the lineup? Every one of those guys, Brandon, that comes back, changes this lineup from a positive standpoint. It gets you closer to being able to play the five-on-five game that you needed to play. Uh, And and right now, five-on-five plus minus goal differential for this team has just been brutal. So, uh, to me, getting getting the confidence of a player of an Ivan Barbashev back, getting those guys back in the lineup, eight, 12 minutes a game from him, you know exactly what it's going to be like. It's absolutely huge. It helps you a little bit uh, with, with, you know, the fact that Sunquist is not going to be back in there. So every one of those things is a positive and couldn't come at a more needed time. Curve, speaking of confidence, um, Craig Bruby gives Mike Hoffman the healthy scratch in that previous game. And I really enjoyed Craig Bruby's comment to the media earlier today. He said, they might not always be the right decisions, but it's the decision I made. We've got to move on, and so he's got to play hockey. But we've also got to find the right position to put him in as an offensive player. They had him on that line today with Braden, Shannon, David Perron. Uh, Could we be seeing a different player in Mike Hoffman after this healthy scratch? I don't know. I, like, guys, he is what he is. This team is what they are. Uh, the the coach is what he is. And, and you've just got to figure things out. And, and look, the thing is, you don't have to figure it out in game one. You just got to have to figure it out in, in enough time to make the playoffs and then do something in the playoffs. And I don't, I, I don't, if the coach felt like he needed to see more from Mike Hoffman, you know, then, then that was his option. And, and I said this, Alex, during that last game, there's no way that it caught Mike Hoffman by surprise. I mean, you had to know that the pressure was on him and that he was feeling it, you know, that, that, that something could happen. Now what Craig Berube said today, though, kind of takes the heat back on him, takes it off the player, you know, so I don't know if it was the right decision. Obviously we lost the game. So that would make you question whether or not it's the right decision. Right. But at, at the same time, he is right. Look, look at, look at the season that Justin Falk had last year. And what the team said at the end, well, you know, we really didn't have a role. We didn't have a place. We kept putting him in this spot, that spot, this, with this. I mean, and that's been the same thing for Mike Kaufman. He's played left wing and right wing on all three lines, you know, over the course of this season, sometimes several different, you know, pairings in a game, you know, and, and I think it's, it's, it, it's on him to find a way to get open. I actually wasn't all that disappointed in his last few games, to be honest with you. And, and it's up to the team to be able to find a way to get him the puck to shoot it. He's a shooter. He's a shooter. He's not going to pass it. He's not going to be the guy digging it out of the corners, playing that 200-foot game. It's never been what he's played in, and it takes a while to figure that out. In the meantime, you find a way to get him open and, and, and actually pass the puck to him where he can shoot it, you're going to be effective because you know he can put it in the net. Curbs, a guy that we've been talking quite a bit about the last few days as well is Jordan Bennington. It's not that he's been bad because I I don't think that's a fair way to describe his play this year. He hasn't been bad, but it's just not rising to the level of like he's winning you games while the offense is struggling. What have you seen from Bennington, especially of late from his play? Well, I... You know, the Blues goaltending has kind of given up that one goal a game that you kind of like to have back, and I know they hate that phrase, you know, but but that's 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 the reality of it. It's a I'll go way back to even like a guy like Roman Turk. Roman Turk seemed to keep you in games 
but there's always just that one goal. And it seemed to be the timing of the one goal, you know, that, that would, that would just kind of bite you in the rear end. And that, that seems to be the rut that I think the blues goaltending has been in. Look, you're right. The goaltending hasn't been bad, but it hasn't been good enough either. You know, now I'm not so sure that a broken play when you're expecting the shot to flex over to the right and the guy's got an open net, you, you don't hang that on your goaltender, but there's been some five hole goals. There's been some goals that are, are not Bennington like and Bennington asked to be giving up. And what's I think making it harder is because the offense has been a little sporadic five on five, it puts more, more pressure on those, those same situations there. So the reality of it is, is the blues have had way too many games as a team, as a team. And you have to include the goaltending in this as a team where you're watching three or four or five goals go in way too many. You don't have enough two one wins. You don't have enough three, two wins uh, on this hockey team right now. And, and so I think it's, Yep, there. I, I, and we we haven't shied away from that either, guys. We've said for a while. Look, I, we we think the goaltending is going to have to pick it up, like like other players on this hockey team have to. Yeah, Curves final one for me um, today and tomorrow. They practice. Of course, they play Colorado. This has been a four day off stretch, which has been very uh, good for this team because they haven't had a lot of those, and they don't have many of those for the rest of the season. I think there's two different sets of two days off. How do you think Craig Berube is going to utilize the, those days off with the schedule? It's probably going to be less practice and more just stay away from the rink, right? Well, you're going to you're going to use those days off as just that days off. I mean, it, it is the scenario you're facing. They're going to have to work on some things at morning skates and 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 just take advantage of the rest time and as best that they can. The schedule, which we've talked plenty about, is one heck of a gauntlet with seven seven games against Minnesota, right? Uh, two games against Las Vegas and six games still against Colorado. I mean, it, you control your own destiny in every way, shape, or form. So um, this is a matter of guys. And, and it's it's about time now when we're talking 36 games in, you know, you, you're at the time now where, you know, enough of the, hey, everybody's got to be pulling the rope in the same way. You know, they're, every single young player in this organization, every player in that uh that that's on that roster has had a chance to impact the game. And if they're not in, it's because they didn't earn it and they need guys on that ice to earn it and make it happen. And, and I think they've got the veteran leadership to do it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this stretch run and the excitement that it can bring. It continues on Friday night. Curves will be on the call with Joey Vitale. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario coming up Friday night at 7 o'clock with our guy Alex Ferrario. Curbs, always appreciate the time, man. Looking forward to seeing the Blues versus the Avalanche in action on Friday night and hearing you on the call. Okay, guys. Have a terrific week. Talk to you in a couple days. Same to you. That is Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. We're going to cross things over the fast lane coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs.
He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, including our wonderful conversation with the one and only John Nagowski, check it all out. The 101 ESPN app, 101ESPN.com. It's all presented by I Promise. Crossing things over with the Fastlane BT in studio. What's going on, man? Not much. How's the Nogfather doing? He's doing fantastic. Yeah, I'm he's sure doing he's fantastic. pretty excited. He is. Um, I love his... I guess you could call it an outlook on where he's at right now. Like he's clearly very excited about making this team. It was an emotional day for him. He relayed some of that, but then he also moves it moves forward. He advances it. He's like, yeah, now I want to go win a championship with the Cardinals. Yep. Like that, that is what my goal is Jim now. St. Louis loves you already. That's how you win a All city. All you have to do is say BFIB and see him red now. You got him. <laughs> Talk about Emo's pizza. You're good to go. Wow. Yeah, he's figured it out. He's got it, man. He, he knows what he's doing. Um, BT, I wanted to ask you, you know, it, Last year was a weird year um, with the 60 game season. Everything's just different. The travel schedule, everything. What's it like for you to actually have, you know, as a as a broadcaster on these games for for Bally Sports Midwest now? Nailed it. Look at you. That's what so is it weird. like for you to now have a full 162 that we're getting ready to broadcast with at, even though it's not full capacity, finally fans getting back into the stands again. Super excited, man. Super excited because there is uh, baseball is baseball at its core. And when you watch it, I think the TV product was really good last year mm-hmm. and it did kind of make you forget at times that there weren't fans in the stands until you saw a rocket home run land and it hits Fred Bird's painting instead of uh, people like going for the baseball. So I think that that side of it was good. But dang, it's just different when people are there, when there's uh, like that buzz around the ballpark. And we all know what opening day is like. And the Cardinals home opener will be next uh, next week, next Thursday. And it's not going to be the same as it always is. It's not going to be the cars around and it's not going to be all the Hall of Famers on the field. But you're going to have different elements of it. You can have different aspects of it. And it's going to be fantastic. So uh, I'm excited. I'm pumped up. I can't wait until things get even more normal where this game uh, that, that we'll be calling tomorrow to be Danny Mack and myself on on the call. The whole crew is going to be working over at Bally uh, on this one, but I, I can't wait until that game is like we're in Cincinnati calling it. We'll be Hell doing it yeah. from the studios. They're beautiful. All the amenities are there, but it's different, right? It's a little bit different uh, while you're going through it, but damn, we got 162 to look forward to, boys. Like, that's what it's all about. There's there's ups and downs. There's question marks about every single team, but if we can knock out the one question mark of, hey, uh, how many games are we playing? How long is this quarantine? Like, That's a big one. Dude, let's just get past those. Especially if we can find out the DH situation, too, now, because apparently that's still a possibility in Major League Nothing Baseball. Nothing shocks me at this that's point. That's true. That's Did true. You, I, like, it, it was, and I was talking to Danny Mack about this off the air, but it was kind of alarming in the last week of spring training how many National League teams were not having their pitcher hit. We're yeah. just like the Cardinals were one you, of like three. Yeah, like what do, you know? what do you know? What do you know that we don't know? So who knows? I mean, we could, <laughs> we could very well get into the ball game tomorrow. We're we're rolling out the uh, starting lineups, and it's like, hey, look DH. at this. <laughs> starting at DH. DH. We're batting in the two hole. That's Ooh. where I put him. I think Nogfather. I like that. Get a guy that gets on base a little bit. Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna get Nog in, let's get him in. Then you go clean up. Th- uh, you go three hole Goldie clean up Arenado. Yeah, why beat around the bush, That's right? A let's, scary let's get our OBP guys. Go on. DeYoung or O'Neill five. Uh, look, 
Uh, the world is your oyster at this point, okay? <laughs> Once you get the Nogfather batting second, you've got a lot Fair of things enough. going on. I think they would go to Young. Uh, I would almost think about going Carlson, yeah. although I think that we're going to see him batting a little bit later. Uh, I, I do think that your optimal lineup at some point is going to have Carlson batting second. I think I that's probably your best fit, but we shall see. I kind of like him three, by the way. I've been thinking about this a little bit more. Okay. I like him, so I like going... Are you trying to split up switch hitters? and Arnato? Yes, so it would be a switch hitter at the top with Tommy Edmond, and then you've got Goldie, best hitter, hitting yeah. second. Some people think that's the best way to go about it. I don't much care about that, but you've got another switch hitter coming up next with uh, Carlson and then Arenado batting cleanup. I kind of yeah, like, like that idea, I, too. I like the flip-flop of the looks, but I also really like having two known quantities yeah. batting back-to-back. Sure. Because those guys, too, like – your splits be damned because they're going to kill you either way. These aren't guys that have heavy splits. Like, oh, you got this righty with a nasty slider. What's Nolan going to do? Well, he's probably going to go down and hit one of those things out of the ballpark. Right. So I don't worry about that as much, but I do like the idea of balance. I like the the, uh, the threat of those two there. BT, uh, we, dealt, we did this a little bit ago, the Cardinals superlatives. I'm curious this one for you. Breakout player this year for the Cardinals. Who would it be in your opinion? Ooh, okay. A lot, a lot of different options mm. here. Um, I will go with breakout. So we had our ah. options. I think we went with I went Carlson, Tyler O'Neill. O'Neill. I went Carlson. Carlson. So who did you mine. pick? Who did you pick? Who did I pick? So I, I was leaning towards <laughs> O'Neill, but I want to go a different direction, actually. I'm going to go Tommy Edmond as the guy. Tommy Edmond, like a lot of people, and I don't know. I don't know how to evaluate what we saw last year, whether it be good or bad. And I'll be interested to see how the organization values that. We got John Mosellock today at 3 o'clock. Maybe he can kind of tell us a little bit how they looked at the numbers they saw last year. But I'm going to go Tommy Edmond as the guy. Tommy has been uh, not given second base. Like, Tommy had to earn it. Now, Matt Carpenter didn't grab, like, steal it from him or, or push him at all. <laughs> but I think that Tommy Edmond is super capable. And the fact that he's got the opportunity to be the lockdown guy. And by the way, with Tommy Edmond, he does know, you don't think about it, but he knows that they've got the next best prospect in baseball, but, you know, next best prospect mm-hmm. in the organization. Yeah. He's playing second base in double A, yep. and that guy's going to be knocking on the door. I think Tommy Edmond has a breakout year. I think he's your leadoff hitter at the beginning of the year. I think he's your leadoff hitter at the end of the year. I know you've said this a million times over the last couple of weeks. Be patient. You're 100 Not that one. Wait for your pitch. That's Tommy right. Edmond is super important for this team. He is. That dude is your second baseman. He is your leadoff hitter. <laughs> he is your backup center fielder. And he's he's the your backup shortstop. If you don't want Matt Carpenter. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. If that's what you're thinking at home. By, by the way, way, he is. By the way, T-Bone actually had Tommy Evans as the best position player for the Cardinals this year. Is that right? He was my dark horse. No, it okay. was his guy. Over so, Arnato. Oh, you probably left out Arnato and Goldie, no. so you can't pick these two yeah, guys. Yeah, he was saying as the dark horse other than those two guys, that's he would okay. go with that. No. Yeah, I like that. No, Thank he, you. He said it over Arnato. By the way, my breakout player, I, I can't believe I forgot. It was John Nagowski. Come on, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, looking forward to the fast lane coming up today from 2 to 6. They've got John Mosellock coming up at 3 o'clock. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. I want it that way. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I Promise.